you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. No, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. No, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. Oh, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. Oh, you're never gonna get it. Never ever gonna get it. You find us, your hosts, Alex and Alexandra, prowling the grounds of 3 West End Road, a 14-room shingle-style mansion on four acres of land in the affluent Georgica Park neighbourhood of East Hampton, New York. Ornate concrete walls imported from Spain surround the sprawling estate, shielding the house and its inhabitants from the fierce winds and spray of the Atlantic Ocean. Within the walls lay a landscaped garden of pale climbing roses, lawns of lavender and delphinium, which, along with the sea mists and sand dunes, created a serenely desaturated colour scheme that would give the house its name, Grey Gardens. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Did you? Yes, I did. It was a bit of a tongue twister. But that's always good, I find. So uh, I shall continue then. Designed in 1897 by arts and crafts architect Joseph Greenleaf Thorpe for the newspaper heiress Margaret Bag Phillips and later bought as a summer cottage by coal magnate Robert C. Hill in 1913, Grey Gardens was acquired by attorney and sportsman Phelan Beale in 1924. Phelan Beale founded the Bouvier and Beale Law Practice. He married his business partner's daughter, Edith Ewing Bouvier, an American socialite and amateur singer, and the house was purchased as a gift to her. Now, Edith came from money. Her father, Major John Vernou Bouvier Jr., was sole heir to the fortune his father had made as one of the earliest members of the New York Stock Exchange. Major John and his wife Maud were the paternal grandparents of future First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy. All roads lead to Jackie. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Edith, um, Edith was born on October the fifth, eighteen ninety-five, which makes her a Libra. And what can we say about Libras? Well, I'm trying to think if I know any. When's what's the month? Libra is um, mid to late September until um, the twenty-third or fourth of October. Ah, up that end. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm really fucking terrible at people's birthdays anyway, but I don't think I know any. I know a couple. I've had a couple of female friends who are Libras, and I've dated a few Libra men. Now, Libras are generally thought to be very um, flirtatious. Oh, yes. Um, I like that. My neighbours across the back. Uh, say to me you always speak to every, you always speak to everybody I'm this well I'm the same with everybody anyway you know what I mean definitely and I mean they're they're kind of they're kind of I don't what would I say a little bit more cho- I suppose more choosy but I just think I don't even see it as flirting I just think a, a smile and what I mean if you touch their arse does that flirting <laughs> <laughs> but I just think being interested in fucking people what's the matter yeah. is that flirting well it depends that I think as well so Libra is an air sign so like the other air signs you've got Gemini and Aquarius we're associating air with the intellect and also with communication so communication is something that Librans are really good at they're good talkers they're good Mm -hmm. storytellers 
and they are quite charismatic and captivating in I social like situations. I, I want to know more. Yeah, I, you know? I think that Libras are pretty easygoing and people tend to warm to them very easily. Um, they're they're nice people. They're very considerate of others. Is there a see with the balance thing? Uh huh. Number one, are the mad? Are the are the is there a bipolar kind of flip side thing? No. Honestly, is that that's more um, Gemini? Eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, so the Gemini would be the more unhinged um, uh, sign, but Librans aren't really mad. I guess the criticisms of Libra could be that they're a little bit shallow, a little bit um, narcissistic, ah. you know, at, at the bad end to, of the spectrum, yeah. because they're trying to please everyone, they're people pleasers. And trying to keep everything in the balance. Yes. I like the sound of them. Mm-hmm. So our Edith, Big Edie, is a Libra. Um, she was regarded as a difficult child who had a problem with authority, but don't we all? I like her already. Same. But many remarked upon her beauty and her musical talent, which are very Libran traits as well. Yes. She does, and, and, and we'll get on to it, but definitely she has got that very late 1800s, a th- quite aristocratic, ethereal beauty. That the kind of, mm-hmm. eh, like mm-hmm. the, those characteristics, she's, she's a, a, a definitely a, a type yeah, very, very striking, very um, noble, regal looking. Horsey. Horse. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's not really. But she's she's, she's got, not, but she could be. Yeah, but she's, she's got, I remember that there's that, there's that painting and, and she's got a strong profile. She's fascinating. It's a charismatic face, eh? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm, definitely. So she was known as, as a great beauty and she did have a good singing voice, musical talent, although her father dismissed these attributes as a waste of time. See, I would have thought, was that not the period... Is that what women were supposed to be? Well, there was that thing within high society where you were to develop things like that. Uh You were to develop painting lessons and and women of a kind of, you know, essentially children of millionaires. Yeah. They were were kind of developed. And and what they meant by that was they they could sing, they could play the pianola. Yeah. Uh, They're ornamental. Yeah. Uh So what did he want her to be then? Well, I guess... Because he's a lawyer and, you know, maybe quite a serious person. I think he saw these things as frivolous and tedious, yeah. but mm. sounds like a hater. Yeah. So she must have had latent daddy issues again, don't we all? So she married Phelan, who was her dad's business partner, and he was 14 years her senior. I mean, she's putting the knife in there already. What age was she? 23? Oh, well, no bad. Is that right? I don't know. No, 22. Oh, fuck Let's say early, early 20s. She's early 20s and, and he's like um, th- 14 years older. Oh, my fucking God. Guys, please don't stop listening. So, <laughs> he, so he's, that's quite sick. He's 36. That's hot. Do you know, that's not even a big enough age gap to be kinky. To I don't one. think. No, yes. that's just, uh, let's just, that's, that's normal. normal. We're saying normal. <laughs> So the the wedding, they had a lavish ceremony at St. Patrick's Cathedral, as was befitting of New York Catholic aristocracy. The, the, this is who these people are, right? Yeah. So they're, they're New York aristocracy and they're very, very heavily Catholic as well. There was that, there is that kind of um, total branch of that. Eh, mm. within, is it Irish immigrants that have done good then? Or is it, or is it coming they already coming a, to? They are a French extraction. Are they right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering if it was that, or, or if it was the coming to America and making mm-hmm. your, making your money there, or bringing it with you. So they kind mm-hmm. of brought it with mm-hmm. them then, mm-hmm. because really the kind of built the history as I know it is kind of really it was a lot of 
um, poor Irish people fleeing to America. They, they were descended from some kind of French um, cabinet maker, something like that. So they're moneyed and Catholic. Moneyed and Catholic, and she was a bit of a bridezilla. So at her wedding, she demanded a huge choir, but later lamented that she wishes that she could have performed the soprano solo herself. And why the fuck not? It's her day. No, guess why not? Why? That's fucking awful. But people Imagine, nowadays do that, yeah, and twats. it's cringe, and it, they're twats, and they normally do some kind of fucking Gangnam-style dance, oh, no. in which case they should be, you know, ushered into a pit of oh, snakes immediately. Fine, to the crematorium, to the crematorium exactly. The uh, no, 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 I think you've got enough fucking attention on you. You've got a big white dress on and, and set absolute centre of attention. No, you didn't need to get a fucking mic and start singing. It is a bit cornball, but... I do admire the audacity of yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, there's something about the over-the-topness that could be hysterically brilliant. And this is what she's like. Do you know what I mean? This is she's her. She's a showgirl. She's a showgirl. This is her age 22, and tell you what, this kind of behaviour, this kind of inclination, does not mellow with age. No. It just becomes more and more. So, yeah, that that kind of behaviour, though, that kind of attention-seeking behaviour. Um, would have been seen as vulgar by members of the upper class and I think this is where some of their issues begin. Yeah, I mean, probably, uh, the idea of even singing in public, that essentially meant you were a Prostitute. Yeah. yeah. So, um, they would not have been wanting her to grab the mic and do a fucking solo on the, <laughs> on, on the wedding call on the altar. Um, the same year uh, they were married, Edith and Felon, Felon? Felon? Felon. Felon's first child arrived. Their daughter, Edith was born on the 7th of November, a Scorpio, like our Alexandra. So what do you, you need to tell me then? What do you know about Scorpios? Well, I think it would be more interesting if you tell uh, me, what do you know about Scorpios? Right, just and purely just straight from the gut, right? Mm. Uh, I th there's the, sh the shell and then the softness, right? Soft shell crab. Yeah, so as I mean, as a, as a uh, cancer as well. Yeah, there's a similarity Babe, there. I'm cancer rising. Well, there you go. Right. Hey, I think I am. Yeah. Which is a strange combo with Sagittarius, actually. Oh, very much so. Yeah, but so I've got a double shell. You've got that. Ain't no cunt getting in here. And I've got, uh, well, my, my shell is my, my kind of attention to the kind of home and that the kind of thing. Home yeah. So that I really, really, and hey, the point of this this um, podcast, the idea of the, the, the kind of the hermit and needing that absolute safe, locked off space. Ah, you know, hermit so crabs. yeah, we've both got that. So for a Scorpio, I've got cream for mine. <laughs> uh, I've got uh, a lotion for mine. It's, it's probably it's probably. I've shaved my pubes off. Okay, though, you so can't really get it. Nothing you can get them on your eyebrows and eyelashes. So if you've been getting tea bagged. Oh God, that's did you that know that? Really? Is, yeah, that, is that a fact? Yeah. It's not a funny. It's a no. fact. You, can, you get can get crabs on your eyelashes. Well, apparently you do have these tiny, tiny, tiny little crocodile-like bugs in your eyelashes. All over your skin. Well, mine are all in blackface because of my mascara. <laughs> Mine's now smell of carnal flower by Frederick Mal because I had a lovely, luxurious bath before before Alexandra appeared tell earlier. Me, no, tell me, tell me, what are Scorpios like? Right. Talk about me. So that... <laughs> oh, we'll get onto that <laughs> later on. <laughs> we, we, we diagnose that through the DSM v5 uh, or whatever the fuck it is um for me but then see these are the type of people that i got on with i like people that are that have got uh, but that's also somebody that knows who they are a scorpio right 
because they've, they've got a defined shape. They've got that that kind of the, the soft center thing. I just always assume that anybody that's got any kind of, I wouldn't even call that. You're not defensive. I, I can think. be. You just don't trigger me. Right. No, but not even in that. I, I've never even taken any of your character traits or aspects of your personality as defense mechanisms. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I didn't mean defensive as in like the the Scorpio tail, uh-huh. like the the kind of ready ready snap. Is that not an attacking thing? Yeah, no, I, I kind of know that you've got that in you. I've not actually seen it, but I know it's there. I mean, everybody should be respectful of everybody having a bit of that in them, eh? Yeah. So I just kind of am aware that, 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 that that's there. Uh, but whatever, obviously sex, eh? Yeah, apparently the most sexually intense and sexually driven sign of the zodiac which i cannot possibly comment on i'd like to because i don't well not <laughs> not in that way but in, because i don't think i've fucked a scorpio you'd I'm know if you out. did you'd know if you did i mean i just dominate the bedroom like a young god so i wouldn't know if i'd encountered one uh-huh. <laughs> so no i don't i really don't know i, I would know mm-hmm. i would know then eh yeah. i would be maybe i wonder if my I wonder if that person that we were speaking about earlier on, mm-hmm. not that one, not that one, not mm-hmm. the one that we were speaking about earlier on as well. Not okay, the first one. Yeah, the first one we spoke about. Uh, I wonder if he was. How do you not know? Is this not the first question you ask? You go, how hung are you? How tall are you? Not in Tinder inches. And what is your star sign? What's your time, place and date of birth? I, I do ask, it comes out usually in the first kind of round of conversation and then I promptly forget it, you know what I mean? Well, probably because you said something really boring and one that you were just like, eh. There are certain ones that I just, I'm not going to name them because we don't want to we alienate, want to alienate our audience. So, um, but, yeah, I wonder because he had something going on mm. uh, that was a whole new thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, I wonder but anyway, Scorpios, Scorp- do they, they walk straight on, don't they? So yeah, they're not, they don't they're not sideways. So that's good taste. I, I, I know they get a bad rap, but I, I like Only all those... Only from people who are jealous, I think. The, the pussies. I can see the honesty in it all. I don't, it's not like, to me, that never comes across as a charade or a show. I'm, I, I absolutely see the realness in it and through it. It's not like it's separate for somebody, where people yeah. seem to want it to be. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think... I describe Scorpios as we're like Aries in terms of um, intensity, but Aries being a fire sign, Scorpio being a water sign, there's more going on under the surface with us. We're more kind of introverted. We think things yeah. through. We we you know ruminate on things. We plot and we plan things. We've got that some actually. It's a similar thing. See with Sagittarians, you know that arrow thing. I can shoot my shoot my arrow. Shoot your shot. I can shoot my shot. I can pick what I'm kind of aiming for. Mm-hmm. Aim for it. It doesn't really. We were speaking about my willpower earlier on. Uh-huh. It doesn't really matter how long it takes. It'll generally be quicker than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But if I aim for something, I get it. Now I don't aim for crazy things like to be a trillionaire or you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's never anything mental mm-hmm. because I, I've got my four feet on the ground being a being a centaur. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's it's they're quite that's quite an earthy thing of of Sagittarius. Although what is Sagittarius? Fire. Fire, yeah. And I was speaking to um, my my neighbours yesterday, yesterday, and you know what my my um, Chinese um, sign is? 
you would never I mean it's the most it would be the one you would that would pop into your head if you were going to make one up um pig fucking bitch no <laughs> a fucking fire dragon bitch well do you know I'm a dragon as well I know. yeah uh, a wooden one a shit it, dragon. No, a, a good one. Now you see the fucking tails fucking all cuff. the magic like, dragon. You're calling me. Now, now you're seeing the tail coming out on our young Alexandra, <laughs> ready for the fucking kill. But no, I think we've got that in common, the the directional thing. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I see that in you. Mm. Uh, I've always been aware of it. You I know what know I mean? I don't know where the fuck I'm going. No, but if you, if you did, you would be dangerous. Exactly. <laughs> Do you know, I've said that. I say that... If I had more foresight, common sense, more hair, and less um, neurosis and self-hatred, I would be an unstoppable force. I, I see. I've just got zero. Although you would never know, um, listeners. I've, I've just got zero fucking ego. I don't give a fuck. And by, the, by that, I mean, I don't care about any external um, thing to be achieved or to be shown. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do in some ways but like uh, uh, my, my, my goals and that those wee goals I was talking about are always very personal and quite small mm. well they're not I mean they're, they're, they can be significant big significant to you yeah because they're things like in relation to my education or, or writing and stuff like that they're things like that mm-hmm. but they're very private and very very they're, they're, they're not really been about putting on the ritz you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, which is odd because Sagittarians are, can be quite like that mm-hmm. but I suppose that's maybe more Leo but the Sagittarian thing I'm talking about that rather than Scorpio we'll go back to that uh, is they say that we're philosopher kings Yeah. so there's that sense of kind of want I mean the, the, that kind of want to be in control type thing and want to be at the top right mm-hmm. But in relation to the philosophy thing, in relation to kind of thought, mm-hmm. I suppose, right? Yeah. So not wanting to be the top, but wanting to kind of control the mind, I suppose, eh? Or understand yeah. the mind. That's what I would take it as. And there is a lot of spirituality within Sagittarians as well. Yeah. Ken, what about the spiritual aspect of Scorpios? I think Scorpios um, are drawn to spirituality and anything that's kind of occult, mm-hmm, anything mm-hmm. that hidden knowledge, hidden wisdom, yeah. because... The scorpion is it's a kind of creature that exists in, in a liminal space yeah. between between water and earth between underground and overground as well so mm-hmm. we kind of occupying that going from the conscious to the I'm subconscious there's, there's a relationship with psychics and stuff like that then as well mm-hmm. eh? between mm-hmm. worlds and they're in the moon that there's, there's a wee scorpio coming or is that, a, is that a crayfish or is that a scorpio a scorpion or in the tarot card the oh, yeah. um it looks we like a know. crayfish to me i think it's a crayfish i think where i've seen us there is a i'm sure in the rider way there's a are we hidden Scorpio in somebody's shield or something? Well, ho, listen to this. Uh-huh. So we're talking about tarot cards now. So the tarot card that is associated with Scorpio is... The men, no? Death. Death. Because Scorpios are all about transformation, uh-huh. right? And this is a key theme in my life, oh, definitely. You can cast a shell and keep growing and stuff. Can you grow back a limb? Are they one of those animals? Um, maybe, they are. yeah. The one oh, of they those can grow back a tail, ones. I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but it, yeah. So it's all about it's all about death, change, transformation. I've got a brilliant relationship with change. Change freaks a lot of people out. But like, for example, when when you were faced with that situation, which is very stressful of having to suddenly find a new place to Aye. live after fifteen years, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of people that would make them crumble. Yeah. But 
I just felt so excited yeah. for you because I was like, fucking I brilliant. It. I ended up catching it off you and felt, mind at this time, I said fit and felt really kind of like safe by your response to it mm-hmm. and really looked after and really, I, I saw all the positives of it and look how well I managed it. So that was uh-huh. down to, that was down to support for people like you, mm-hmm. to, to exclusively because I never had that really developed as part of my kind of like um, armoury previously. But Ah, yeah, you learn. Even as a 46-year-old beautiful brown woman, <laughs> I am still learning. We're all learning, we're all growing. So, um, little Edie was a Scorpio, and um, big Edie had um, two sons as well, Felon. Are they saying Felon? Felon's like someone that does a crime. Feeling. Feeling, right, I'll remember. Born in 1920 and Bouvier in... 19- so would he be... Would he be Bouvier Bouvier? Yeah, they, so he's called Bouvier, Bouvier Beale, but um, he would be called Buddy. As right, name. okay. Posh people. So the family lived on Madison Avenue until they left the city for the coastal idyll of Grey Gardens. There, Edith fully indulged her penchant for the theatrical. She would spend hours a day playing the piano and training her mezzo-soprano voice, even hiring accompanists to come to the house to rehearse with her described by her daughter as the original hippie. She she socialised with bohemians and artists. See, I've been thinking about that recently. I fucking love that word, bohemian. Yeah, you don't really hear it being used these days. No, I mean, there's a podcast I listen to, and there's always, is it The Last of the Bohemians by um, Jonathan Meads? Is it? The Last of the Bohemians? Is that Jonathan Meads? He did did an early documentary, uh, and he's just it's very kind of he's been very surreal in it going in and out windows and doing kind of the great stuff you know the stuff that you love him um, for uh, hanging out with um, bohos in uh, par- a party London I can't remember where oh. uh, it's fucking fantastic mind there used to be a YouTube channel called Mead's Shrine no and I, it seemed to be I thought it was him that was behind it because it was somebody that had access to absolutely everything that he had ever done you know oh, what I mean I wonder I'll, I'll have a wee look I wonder I've not I've, I usually I, today may be the day where I start watching everything again mm-hmm. you know what I mean but I fucking love all I mean you need a bit of money you know what I mean mm-hmm. I suppose it's the equivalent of um, kind of Trustafarians kind of and what else what's the other kind of names that you call that that brood you know but kids that can do a fucking gap year and all that shit Oh, but yeah. they can afford to, they can afford to slum it, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know. There's that. That's looking at it really critically. But I think a lot of folk just fucking loved it. Look at you wouldn't have the, the whole scene in Paris without that mix of kind of like high and low mm-hmm. and rich and poor and kind of art, artists and patrons, you know. Mm-hmm. So that she's coming th- she's coming at life from that angle. Mm-hmm. It sounds like and quite a and a much more kind of backward conservative environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she socialised with bohemians and artists and drew sneers and mockery from the real housewives of the Hamptons for her outlandish and unconventional dressings. I mean, she sounds fantastic. She eh? sounds like a great laugh. Ken, that's you want you want one of them and your your gang of buddies. Ah, uh-huh, exactly. But unfortunately, her uncouth ways began to grate on her husband, 
who, unlike his wife, actually cared about keeping up appearances. So this is the problem when you marry someone straight, like mm -hmm. a lawyer. Yeah. Yes, you get the money, you get the security, la da da. But he's not going to find it particularly amusing when you're lounging around the living room with your tits hanging out with a bunch of your gay pals. Okay, I mean, and that's the life, eh? So they weren't getting on, and their daughter, Edie, described her father as being like a stranger. And she recalled her parents' fights that resulted in dad losing his temper and mum retreating to her room and her music. After less than a decade at Grey Gardens, Phelan walked out on Edith, leaving her the house but little else. With no form of alimony from her ex-husband, Edith was left to raise the kids and maintain the estate all on her own. She tried to revive her singing career, giving recitals in her home and at private parties around the neighbourhood, but she struggled to support herself and continued to provide the luxuries to which she and her children were accustomed. She relied on her father's support. He sent her $3,500 a year, which is about $65,000 in today's money. Thank you, Daddy. I mean, that's all right if you're, if you're single and you've not got a fucking mansion to upkeep and kind of, I don't know. Kids' and, private space yeah, to pay for. Yeah, all that. I mean, but I'll tell you, 65 grand in America these days, I mean, an average wage is near enough that now. I mean, it's I, or compared to what it used to be. A year. It's something like, I think it's 45 grand or something. Kind of like yeah. it re or maybe more, I think it went out, but like, I think what here is it's something like 30 or 35, I don't know. Don't know. But it's a bit. The, uh, there is definitely a. It's it, so it's good, but it's not brilliant. It's getting not 60 for the aristocracy yeah. of New York with a mansion in the Hamptons. I mean, fucking hell, I can barely afford mortgage on a two-bedroom house in East Kilbride on a teacher's salary, which is not greatly less than that. I think uh, it's. Um, it should be, should have been struggling, you know. And the fucking hell. So her dad made a fortune on mm -hmm. the stock exchange. He's a millionaire. Aye. To give her that is yeah. miserly. I know, and she's stuck between a rock and a hard place because I'm guessing she's not wanting to divorce. Mm -hmm. she, well, she's she, a Catholic. Right. She, she can't she, divorce. She really gets stuck there, eh? She's stuck. She's a Catholic, and she's quite staunch in her Catholic beliefs, mm -hmm. more so than her husband. Yeah. Um, so for her to be abandoned by her husband... You know, as much of a bohemian as, as she is, that's quite shameful yeah. in their society. That would have made her be a bit of an outcast. And the notion of getting a divorce, which although that might, you know, mean that he would be obliged to send her a particular amount of money to maintain her and stuff like that, she would have benefited financially from a divorce. Yeah. But for the stigma of it and being a Catholic, it's not really something that no. she would want at all. So the boys went to college, Phelan studied journalism at Columbia and Bouvier followed in his father and grandfather's footsteps studying law at Yale. Now that would have been expensive for yeah. a start and I'm guessing the dad's not paying for that. Edith, or Little Edie as she was known, went to a prestigious prep school in Connecticut before being presented to society at her debutante ball in 1936. According to the New York Times, she made her entrance wearing a white and silver net gown with a crown of gardenias in her hair. It sounds beautiful, eh? Mm -hmm. It does. Uh, among her East Hampton cohorts, she was known as the Beautiful Beale. With a tall, slim figure, blonde hair and piercing blue eyes, she capitalised on her good looks, 
moving to the city and working as a model at Macy's department store. I mean, she'll be glad to get out, but that's still a move down as well, eh? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think we'll, we'll find out more about her, but she was desperate to get away, mm-hmm. eh? Although I don't, uh, I'm, I'll, I'll say no more just now. She inherited her mother's passion for music and entertaining, moving to, Man- um, moving to Manhattan in 1947, where she pursued dancing and acting. Meanwhile, Big Edie spent her days with her accompanist and confidant, George Gould Strong, an accomplished pianist and composer who she met in the 1930s. She quickly became his muse and apparently he dedicated over 80 songs to her. They must have been fucking terrible, eh? Oh, no, wait there. De- they're not about her, right? Okay, dedicated. Uh-huh, you dedicated. can just shoot somebody's name at the bottom of anything then. Uh-huh. That's a good way to get money out of her. Yeah, yeah. So she might have been a bit of a patron of I his. A and, little bit. You know, and she and he maybe bolstered her ego and indulged her whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but they were very, very close and she spent all of her time with him. Um, she claimed that he looked after her in every way. But little Edie sneered at the suggestion. Gould was gay, so he couldn't fulfil her mother sexually. Still, rumours persisted that he and Big Edie were lovers, and she certainly regarded him as her soulmate. Now, in the movie mm-hmm. of Grey Gardens, the dramatised version of it, um, he is portrayed... not He's not explicitly portrayed as gay, but their relationship is definitely portrayed as one-sided because she's seen to be quite obsessed with him and you know needing affection and validation from him and eventually he kind of tires of it and kind of cottons on that he's never going to be able to fully live his own life and pursue his own relationships and stuff like that while he is stuck with her she's cock blocking him yeah. massively so i think eventually he just kind of ditches her because I wondered what her opinion of his homosexuality was with her Catholic kind of background, you know. But then, yeah, listen, I just think, I, I mean, you're allowed to best pal, you know what I mean? And if, if you're kind of close to somebody, you're out in the wilds uh, and somebody's got a bit of money, you would look after each other. You look after each other and I think, you know, her husband's left her and she's clearly yearning for companionship and affection and she's found a man, a good-looking man, who has got the same passions and interests as her and, and you know tells her that she's a magnificent singer tells her that she, that she's brilliantly funny and beautiful and all this stuff so that is quite intoxicating for yeah. for someone who's vulnerable and, and has been rejected and if they're both obviously romantic you know what i mean it's like everybody you need your pal and you need a muse and it's great when it's not sexual mm. you know so it's like i just 15 different people and, and male and female friendships just flashed through my brain. Where, Me and you. you know, well, hey, but like <laughs> it's very, very common. You know what I mean? I was thinking, um, oh God, now I forget every single one. Well, look at um, what's her face that we covered in podcast Maria Callas and yeah. Pasolini. And um, um, San Laurent and uh, I forgot his female um, fucking muses. Lulu de la Feliz. Yeah. Is that her? You know. And they just, it's like you need each other. You know, you've got you've got a kind of a, a deep, meaningful connection where you can talk about all the matters of the heart, everything that you're interested in, shared aspirations and mm. interest in, in art and stuff like that. Uh, you're not getting in each other's way because you're fucking different people. You know mm. what I mean? It is, a, it is a true kind of soulmate. You can be soulmates 
in a non-sexual yeah, way. Because if it was two gay guys doing that, say, then you're, it could get a bit messier. If it was two straight women, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Oh, a straight woman and a straight man. Aye, ah, yeah. then there's, al- there's always there's, there's that. Although that's probably, I don't know, I just think that there's, there's less... There's more potential for it to be a really, really good friendship, mm-hmm. rather, and and with no competition. And you know what I mean. Yeah. If you're both singing from the same, literally singing from the same song sheet, then uh, you can have a laugh. Okay, mm-hmm. so it makes perfect sense. I don't think it needs to be overanalyzed. I think they, I think they did have a laugh for for many, many, many years. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I think you know, perhaps their closeness made. The daughter, little lady, feel a little bit shut out. Little lady had nothing but contempt for the men in her mother's life, particularly her father, who she despised for abandoning the family and leaving them without financial support. Phelan Beale met a woman named Dorothy Durham and went down to Mexico to acquire a quickie divorce from Edith so that he could remarry. Big Edie received notice of the divorce via telegram. Little Edie described the divorce as fake and claimed that the family didn't recognise the legitimacy of his marriage to Dorothy as divorce was frowned upon by the Catholic Church. This act seemed to have been the last nail in the the coffin with regards to Edie's relationship with her father. The female Beals had already fallen out of favour with several male family members. When Edie's brother Bouvier got married in 1942, her mother caused a scandal when she rocked up to the church 25 minutes into the ceremony, dressed like an opera star and stealing the spotlight from the bride and groom. Again, why not? Classic. You know, classic, <laughs> classic biggie day. So disgusted was he by her attention-seeking antics. Major John cut Edith out of his will and reduced her monthly stipend to a meagre $300. Crazy. Uh, Bouvier and his brother had little to do with the two Edies after that. So that was enough, because they didn't really mention the brothers, do they? No, the, the brothers kind of became peripheral fig- They still spoke, they still spoke on the phone, but they had their own lives, they married, had children, you know, went into quite conventional and successful careers, but they pretty much ostracised the, the female, the Edies. Yeah. Um, because they were seen as embarrassing. But you'd think even although, uh, in order to make them less embarrassing even, like in inverted commas, bung them some of your fucking money then. Yeah. You know, like, like look after your, your mum and your sister. Yeah, I guess it was seen as, like, incumbent upon little Edie to marry well. Yeah. And that she should be looked after by a husband. Yeah, but leaving your, your mum in that state. I know, they it's shitty. Have, they must have really not liked her. Yeah. They probably took the dad's side. Do you know what I mean? I'm guessing. Can. Despite the fact that they had also been abandoned by him when he fucked off, mm-hmm. um, they must have been maybe more like him in terms of their genetic inheritance yeah. or whatever. Sounds like it, because obviously this is still when, when women were like the victim of and exclusively near enough the victim and victim of how men decided to treat them. They were moneyed but trapped in a gilded cage that just kind of crumbled round about them, you know. Mm-hmm. That's generations of, of kind of programming mm-hmm. where they're taught to stay where they've been put. They've been educated to be decorative yet useless as well because like even the, the prep school that little Edie attended um, you know, the, the focus was on developing skills and qualities that would make her more marriageable, you know, being um, 
having good deportment, elocution, being a good singer, being a good dancer, being a good homemaker. I only want to fuck people that can walk about with a book on their head. <laughs> Do you know what? Bad posture is a massive turn off. I'm sitting hunched right, I'm going to... Same right here, I'm, I'm sprawled sideways. Really Fucking sitting here like I've got spina bifida. But then it's all, it's all forgivable if you want to bang them. Well, it's not, yeah, if you're lying down, you can't tell if someone's got a hunchback. Well, unless they're correct, <coughs> walking back and forward like... Like a tortoise in a fucking shell. You know what I mean? Like, I could Which get... could be quite nice. Yeah, it's like a sex swing or something. Saves a lot of effort. I mean, no. it helps the, helps the agent. I, I suppose you could just do it on your side then. I mean, after the age of 37. Just spoon and then thumb it in. Fucking on the sides <laughs> the way forward. Do you know, it's just all so that. You have to look at them. Panting and uh, puffing. And it's such a fucking, it's such a lot of work. The side ones. I, I, so I was watching that in a little bit of pornography the other day and I thought, oh yeah, the side one's great. Uh-huh. Cause you know what I mean? Because you can around as well. And you can get funny angles and do it. Aye, there's, there's, kind of, there's certain angles that make it all fascinating. And you can still have a good look at them if you like them. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Gravity's doing all the work. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot less um, cardio uh-huh. going on. You know what I mean? <laughs> which, can, which can be useful, especially your third or fourth one in. You know, uh-huh. the first one you're up for kind of chucking each other about a bit, but uh-huh. like if you're doing two or three a night, uh-huh. can I mean this is in my high day in my high days and holidays mm-hmm. when you're doing it, you you, you you finally you're getting more and more horizontal uh-huh. <laughs> as, as the 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 the, the um, desire is um, what do you call it there, but the the, the energy um, decreases yeah. fades slightly, but um, what the fuck were we talking about? I don't know how we got on to that. Well. I know, uh, ju- I, I, know how, I know how I got on here, but right. I'll tell you later. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, they'd been cut off, cut off by the dad. He was only sending $300 a month, which is fucking snide. And the brothers patched them as well. Um, so, feeling a sense of duty towards her ostracised mother, little Edie returned to Grey Gardens after only five years of freedom in the city. Uh uh-huh. so she'd had her five years of modelling, of courting, of partying, um, and after that five years, she 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 feels like she has to go back to Grey Gardens, and she leaves behind her a string of hopeful suitors and her own dreams of stardom, because she really wanted to act, she really wanted to perform. There's a little bit of me, but and the mum does say this, and Big Edie does say it through the whole film. We are given hints that. Well, it's, it becomes quite clear that she wasn't really mentally strong enough yeah. to to um, have a life like that. I don't think. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think she works. She it works better for her being somebody that was held back rather than somebody that failed or couldn't hack it. Yes, you I know, I totally got that as well. It gives her a, it adds to her sense of drama. It adds to her sense of drama and the kind of victim complex and the, the kind of learned helplessness. Yeah, they're both absolutely, especially um, when you see the, the, the photos of um, Little Day. she was an absolute type of that kind of movement from the kind of belle epoque all the way through the, the kind of 20s into 30s and you hit the 40s, then you've, you've got these kind of strengthening kind of women, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, that are beginning to... Uh, and especially into the fifties, especially like you know, after after um, the first, we uh, went past the first world war into the second world war, carry on, and women having a different role, and still not being properly defined for rich women, mm-hmm. I suppose, mm-hmm. you know, 
uh, so she's a kind of victim of that environment. Yeah, Still, it's a, it's, it was a difficult kind of time, she wasn't, wasn't a, it? She wasn't like a poor kid coming to the city and having to fucking make it. She didn't have to have that grit and determination. She's kind of been brought up with all that support behind her, although it's not really there. Mm-hmm. But if, if that's been your, your the way that your brain has been programmed for all those years, you know, you've not you've not developed the, the kind of the, the things that would be able to make you push yourself. The resilience yeah. and the drive. Yeah. So I think she she got so far, you know, wow. but I don't know if she would have got further. I don't who, who knows. No, no, yeah. I mean but the but definitely all these but so that one way out, the way that she didn't want to take was with all these men that were and the, the richest men in the world, really. You know, she had the kind of safety net of being able to go home to her mum and not have to think about these, not have to make these decisions mm-hmm. for herself. She could go back to her childhood in a way. Yeah. You know, she could be a little girl again. And she, I think I remember her even saying that in the in the documentary. She did. She talks mm-hmm. about wanting to be her mother's little girl, eh? So there's that. But you think, well, that's, that's, that's reminding me of that um, Stevie Smith poem, uh, where the, what's the line? You have weaned me too soon, nursed me again. But you know that feeling that you sometimes get and you just mm. think, I'm out fighting for myself in the big bad world and I really just need somebody's arms. Like I need that kind of parental step backwards and a wee bit of kind of, you know, a retreat to the womb type mm. thing. Mm-hmm. Or at you least, want to be nurtured, you aye, want to and be not, held and felt uh-huh. safe. And not to be this scary and kind of scared individual. Uh-huh. Can you just fall back into that kind of um, mother-child kind of bond where it's it's claustrophobic and it's terrifying and it's there's a lot of negative that yeah yeah. a lot of negative things but it comes with a sense of familiar safety yeah and i I think that's why a lot of people consciously or not do get into relationships as well Mm -hmm. because it is scary you know being out there on your own and fighting your own battles and having to the pressure of making decisions for yourself and having to live or die by them yeah definitely sometimes when I've been feeling really really low you just do fantasize about going back to your childhood bedroom and just getting Mm. in the bed and pulling the duvet under your head and then not having to worry about anything because you'll get shouted down when it's dinner time but it's all that we've mentioned it before and particularly that relationship between mother and daughter that can that can quickly fall into that that Mm. kind of routine Mm. you know which we see kind of absolutely clearly Mm. in in their in in their relationship in, in the documentary uh, where it's total love hate because mm-hmm. really again for like a Freudian perspective we should get t-shirts made with that on it but for what, a Fro- from a Freudian perspective as a Freudian aye, uh, but that and really kind of post Freudian as well like when you I mentioned that um, Christeva book Black Sun before and in relation to the, the kind of the mother female child thing mm-hmm. when I mean your mother's your orig- everybody's original love object right yeah. But to then to individuate, you've got to kind of move away from that and mm-hmm. find your move on to secondary love objects, right? So you've kind of got to hate that. You've got to you've got to reject it. Yes. So let's say reject, right? So you end up in an ambivalent relationship to the mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be resolved in a kind of cis heterosexual kind of male environment through a relationship where a woman goes through other kind of manifestations of what happens, uh, versions of what how that unfolds there. We assume Edith as a heterosexual. Uh, cis women mm-hmm. right uh, and in that environment the, the the kind of the psychic landscape is fraught 
mm. you know, because she's she's now got an, an ambivalent relationship with herself that's not being worked out through relationships, mm-hmm. the secondary love objects, you know, there's the imaginary ones, these bows, oh, right? There's a lot of imaginary Yeah, friends. so there's imaginary boyfriends, right? And imaginary love objects, which are still as functional psychically for, uh-huh. for, 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 your, for your brain, but they're, they're the root of madness, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, but she's still, but she's got that ambivalent relationship with, therefore, her own sexuality and her own sex, her um, femaleness. So in that, in relation to our mother as primary love object, who is the same sex, is something that's continually ready to blow. Well, we'll see that absolutely because it's pure love hate. It's isn't it? it's love hate. It's intense as fuck, um, and the enormous mansion wasn't vast enough to contain the intensity of the imposing and eccentric personalities of the two women. They were constantly clashing and bickering. Her mother would berate her for what she saw as wasting her gifts of beauty and talent, criticising her for failing to attract a husband and having children of her own, which is interesting because she herself was criticised for only having the gifts of beauty and musical talent. And although she did attract a husband and have children of her own, it didn't work out for her. It didn't bring her happiness. Bad, but yet she's still... She wants to her daughter to replicate that but get it right yeah that's where all the psychic pressure comes from but they're also you could say they're all those things that you listed there are things that are thought to be like traditionally or classically female or feminine Uh you know what i mean the idea of the gifts that she had were things like singing and dancing her beauty and her talent things that were kind of about performing for for others you know what i mean and failing to attract a husband you know Uh so it's like these are the things they were n- they're never going to overlap because they're the things that, that um, either Little Edie couldn't do or failed at or didn't want. Yeah. And I think that's that's a lot of where the frustration from her mum comes from as well, is, you know, she maybe thought that through Little Edie she'd be getting a, a do-over or something. It's like, okay, you're like me. You're even called the same name as me. Yeah. You're a mini-me. And you also have the beauty you also have the same talents as me surely you can attract a husband and escape the the misfortunes that i've had but so i can irony, live vicariously through you yeah but the irony was but little lady doesn't she, want it she doesn't want it and um biggie Day doesn't really want it for her because she doesn't want left alone she doesn't want left alone exactly. the, that's when when the flip and flop between the reasons for attacking each other uh-huh. you know what i mean it's they, they can come at it from any angle from any angle so no one's ever going to win no and the, th- the fact is literally they can both say to each other it's your fault and they're both correct yeah because they're <laughs> both essentially aspects of each other yeah well, well there's because there's no separation there's no and individuation separation. enmeshment complete enmeshment so little Edie felt as though her obligation to look after her mother at Grey Gardens had effectively forced her to give up on her own aspirations and live as a virtual recluse. She would frequently air her resentment at being isolated in East Hampton and declared, I just want to go to New York City and lead my own life. I don't see any other future. But Big Edie insisted that little Edie return to Grey Gardens by her own choice 
because she had failed as an actress in the city and that she chose to live at home because she lacked ambition and independence. Just what we were talking about yeah. before. So it's like, it's your fault I'm here. No, it's your fault you're here. But nobody wants to actually admit and look at themselves and realise how their own failings and flaws have contributed to their current situation. Well, I think that would be the end of their passionate attachment with each other if they did that you know what yeah. I mean? they need that they need the, they need the toing and froing mm-hmm. and the yeah the constant you would, if you if you got rid of that they wouldn't know what to do with themselves well they would, wouldn't they'd run out of stuff to talk about well it would be the end of them psych- psychically you know what i mean it would be that it would be it would be absolute breakdown it's the end of a dance because it is a dance yeah. and it's a structure mm-hmm. so if they take the structure away you know and what's left yeah you're yeah. fucked so we're talking about the whole like idea of being infantilized and willingly infantilizing yourself because Big Edie remarked to Edie, I see you as a very immature child, to which little Edie retorted, in New York City, I see myself as a woman, but here I'm just mother's little girl. When mother and daughter weren't having explosive rows and trading insults, the rooms of Grey Gardens resounded with renditions of songs from happier times. Biggie Day would play her old recordings and sing along, bemoaning the deterioration of her voice. Little Edie indulged her own flair for the theatrical, dressing up in various costumes and performing song and dance routines to her mother's alternating admiration and derision. It's all very Sunset Boulevard, isn't it? And the Norma Desmond effect was further emphasised by the fact that Little Edie had taken to wearing headscarves and turbans to disguise her hair loss. So in her 30s, her long golden locks all fell out as a result of alopecia totalis, which must have been devastating for somebody renowned for their beauty and style. As a fellow alopecian, I can relate. You don't realize how intrinsic your hair is to your sense of identity and self-expression until you lose it. So you have to adapt and find ways to make it work for you, which is easier if you're a creative person as Edie was she would wrap scarves or various items of clothing, like jumpers, skirts, etc. A nice wee cardi. A nice wee cardi. She'd wrap it around her head and fix it in place with a massive, ornate, jewelled brooch, which would give her a very aristocratic air amid the squalid surroundings. I mean, it really looks like what Galliano's been doing for um, Margella. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like the kind of recent... St- I mean, they're, they're, obviously, she... she her, her style has absolutely influenced fashion for oh so you know, many collections have been directly yeah. influenced by um, but lady. that but that Margiela deconstruction thing mm-hmm. where like a jacket becomes trouser I mean I'm, these are just big clumpy ideas but like the idea of moving an item of clothing round the body mm-hmm. and uh, tailoring it differently and um, using a kind of slit that would have been over here as a slit that's happening over there to do something else uh, is absolutely pure Galliano. You know, mm-hmm. you see her when she's walking about in some of those kind of cardies for, for skirts. Yeah. You know, outfits and and uh, I can't remember what she's wearing on, on like her body but and, and the, the kind of the, the um the, the kind of pulled back scarf turban things. Uh-huh. It's pure like high fashion. It's stunning. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, thankfully it's not smell of vision because I'm sure they would have fucking stank piss. of cat piss and all sorts. But the visual effect, she really made it work for and what her. A banging bod. It, even in her 50s when this documentary was filmed, oh amazing my God. body. Those legs. 
Beautiful legs. You know, and just like she's just and she's statue, she's statuesque. And the face, the the bone structure, everything. I mean, you don't you don't need hair and eyebrows if you've got the stru- if you've got the bone structure. That's what I tell myself every day. <laughs> Shape, no, but there, it's just like you just see this. She's a total presence. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I just lo- I, I love because she, and she's in her body. She's very much comfortable in her body. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But seeing those, uh, and aware of herself as a sexual person. I mean, she flips it between that and a little girl, you know. Yeah, it's that it's that hypersexuality, almost in defiance of the little girl role that she has been forced to inhabit. Yeah. And you see her playing with it, and, and she's flirting. With she's flirting the, with the filmmakers. Uh-huh. She flirts with the bloody the boy that comes to do the gardening. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of acts like they're all kind of gentleman callers that are pursuing her. It's very like a streetcar named Desire. Yeah. It's very Blanche Dubois, yeah. isn't it? Well, it, sh- it really shows how kind of realistic those... Uh, those women are real. Yeah, you know, um, and even within... Exactly, and you know, and within, what do you call it? Uh, do you think of the kind of Miss Havisham kind of vibe as well mm. of, of you know mm. and it's like that it happens and it's real and it's, it's a inter- horny and Havisham real. though uh-huh. it's not a sad Miss Havisham but it's a horny Havisham uh, I know they're not really bad to any, anybody else other than themselves each and each and other yeah. I mean they're, they're really pretty unbelievably polite wonderful women gracious yeah. yeah you know you just kind of think no wonder the marble fawn wanted to be near them uh-huh. you know they're, they're, they're who we'll hear about i'm sure uh, their gardener who appears but have we spoken about histrionic personality disorder yet um we haven't do you think this is yeah. the time let's go for it right yeah. well let's diagnose it's quite hard to i mean it's hard to watch anything these days without your kind of mind wanting to pathologize like, and neither of us are that interested in pathologizing personalities because let people fucking be what they are. I suppose it only becomes a problem when it becomes a problem. Uh-huh. Like if it's like the same way alcoholism or something like that, right? If it's beginning to affect your life, if it's limiting your life, if it's hurting other people, if it's whatever, making causing you miserable. making you miserable and causing destruction and pain, then it's a problem, right? So I mean, let's remember. I was I was thinking about that. I can't remember who I was talking to, but they were saying, ah, okay, like it's a personality disorder, but that it's not. That's not a major mental illness. You know what I mean? No. It's like there's other things that are higher up in the the kind of levels of seriousness. Mm. Uh, So um, I've got a list here of what is in my phone, so I'm just going to get it. It's like let's do a quiz on each other and see what we can tick off. Well, the thing is, it's that thing. You're allowed a personality. And, you know, I remember going to therapy years and years ago. It was analysis. Years and years ago, um, getting psychoanalysis. And I needed to get the notes for an insurance thing, right, Mm. for a money thing. And they were like, this isn't going to be nice reading if you, you know, like, and I'm like, oh, it's quite objective about my, my kind of self. Yeah, yeah, and my mental health and all that kind of stuff. But it's amazing that the, it's amazing the bullshit that they come up with. Mm. There, there was a thing, there used to be a, a personality disorder, which I've not got, by the way. Uh, there was a, but there was a personality disorder called eccentric personality disorder. So, That's not a disorder. I know. Like, and then they changed it's it. It's having a personality. I know. Like I was like I said that to my new my, my um, new therapist I was like I didn't walk in with a fucking monocle and a cane I said and a twirly moustache I know I said and see if I did good yeah you know I thought you cannot strip people of their own individual humanity in order to um, kind of categorize them and pathologize it's them. like otherwise you've got normal and other 
I know, and that's it. But that's only it, you know. Mm. And normal, as we know, like even for Freud onwards, is extremely neurotic. That's nor- normality is a, yeah. a healthy um, mental unhealth. And normal is um, totally subjective yeah. to societal what standards. You could, you could call it what? Passable? Passable, or um, just somebody who's not going to pose any issues for anyone. I know, just just right, somebody that just blends into the fucking background. Beige. Well, so but there's but but how it's how histrionic personality disorder is characterised through its symptoms. These are they: long-standing patterns of excessive emotional emotionality and attention seeking. Right, so there is that going on with them. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. see it. You can see it happening with them. Feels uncomfortable when not the centre of attention. Yes, yeah, and they, they really don't like they it. They with each other for attention mm-hmm. as well. And this is what made me want to look at this: this inappropriate, sexually seductive or produ- um, proactive behaviour. Now, there's a little bit of that way both of them yeah, actually, both of them. because you remember that. But I, I was thinking, okay, it's just the little lady that you see that, and when she's kind of like adjusting her clothing in front and and try to seduce the camera, mm-hmm. you know, there's all that kind of stuff. Uh, which is just f- fucking wonderful and fascinating and just knowing how to put, like, pull focus, right? Mm. She knows she's getting fucking filmed. Anyway, but her mum, remember when they're, they're having, a, like, a nice wee breakfast and um, Biggie D's going, fucking cuckoo, because mm. little lady's singing a song that she hates. Yeah. And she's in, gone to, gone to breakfast wearing, like, a towel with, like, a bra strap attached to it. Like, in <laughs> Biggie D, right? And kind of gone to everybody... Oh please look away, look away because you'll see everything if I turn around now and blah blah. And you're like, right, you could have got yourself a wee bit more put together to walk into a room rather than a hand towel and a uh-huh. brass strap. Do you know you next know? time anybody else is getting any attention for anything what whatsoever, I'm just going to moon the room. <laughs> just me. just to remember me, I'm here. See, we don't our, our sparkling conversation and repartee uh-huh. uh, draws the camera back. Fuck off. I mean Anyway, so there's that, right? So that, but that is true. So they do have that, they, they right? They do, yeah. Uh, rapidly shifting shallow emotions. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, right? Regularly uses physical appearances to draw attention to self. Who doesn't? To, but, de- but these are definitely them, right? Mm-hmm. Dramatic, extravagant expressions of emotions. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. Highly, um, high suggestibility. So they're always looking for a, a kind of anything that you say or do. It's that you can see them being really, really, they would go with it. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, overestimates the level of intimacy in relationships. Yeah, they've got yes. a bit of that too. Now, at the same time, these are the things oh. that you would ca- you could say are the characteristics of a vamp, right? Yeah. They're the characteristics, particularly of a type of woman that I've been speaking about as well at that time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where it was kind of like promo- a, a type of femininity that was promoted, promoted. On, in the and cinema. And look at like film noir, exactly. the whole idea of the femme fatale. So they're put up as, as kind of um, archetypes for, for kind of women in everyday life to aspire to, or to at yeah. least mimic, right? So, but that's the same for, kind of, for Oscar Wilde on. So mm-hmm. see this um, moving over light conversation, and you know what I mean? The, yeah. these, are the chari- you, these are the characteristics of a type of dra- dramatic personae that was kind of um, really kind of enforced. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and do you... Right, so the whole idea of a histrionic personality disorder, 
I could be wrong, so please correct me. That's not really something that is commonly spoken about nowadays, or would it really be diagnosed nowadays? Because you know. never hear of it. I think, I mean, everybody loves the term narcissist now, so it would be lumped That's under... That's trendy now. Yeah, it would be lumped under that. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was borderline, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So it's like, everything has its day. Mm-hmm. So I think folk would just go... Alone, nobody. I mean, see the amount. There was a term somebody was using. The other, I'm sick of people talk mis misusing the idea of being, um, dissociated. They just when they say it, they just mean spaced out. Yeah. Right, like, you know, when you go to uh, that Scottish word a dwam. Right, yes. that you just you're kind of like looking and you just kind of go. Your brain's just humming, humming, uh-huh. like a fridge. Yeah. It just doing its own fucking little. Mm, that's no Which fucking we all disassociating. Do several times a disassociating day. is a fucking going into a fugue state. You know what I mean? Where you don't know who you are, where you are, blah, blah. It's like, I, I hate the, the, the misuse of that term. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's got certain very specific characteristics, etc. But that, in relation to nar- narcissistic, the use of the term narcissistic... Which is overused Fuck bandy that about and don't understand it at all. And everybody, as soon as they've had a breakup or something, it's like, oh, my narcissistic ex. Mm-hmm. It's like, maybe they're just an asshole. I know. I mean, it covers a multitude of sins, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I've heard a lot of people hearing, using the term narcissistic, that would more overlap with this idea mm-hmm. of histrionic personality, right? Uh-huh. Because I hear people using it as in somebody walking in being dramatic. And, you know, I wouldn't leave them alone in a room with my partner because you'd come back and they'd be sitting on their knee. And, you know, there's that yeah. type of nar- narcissism. Uh, that's not much to do with narcissistic personality disorder. No. Can or m- much to do with classic narcissism. Classic ma- narcissism is very dark. Mm-hmm. It's death driven. Yeah. You know, it's I mean, it's much more complex than what folk think. It's not just somebody wanting to be the centre of attention emotionally and um, within a room. That's that's one aspect, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the the depth and the darkness of it, and it's and it's force. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, but those those these characterise it. I don't know. I don't know many, um, I don't actually know, I don't know any psychoanalysts, so I don't know uh, how they would be thinking. I mean, Lacanians, Lacanians, whatever, never really went down that route of of really diagnosing every single aspect of the personality. Uh I think they just have like hysteric, neurotic and psychotic. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, They weren't really into breaking it up. But in order to get, um, what do you call it? Ah! Sorry, I'm getting uh, more. Alexandra's been licked to death by um, podcast pet Fonzie. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Um, histrionic personality disorder. Oh, yeah. Psychoanalysts didn't. <laughs> oh, I think it's more to do with an insu- needing an insurance claim in America. They needed yeah. to get a number and a name and a list of symptoms in order for insurance to pay for your therapy. Uh-huh. So that whole explosion of the DSMV kind of like um, diagnostics kind of book is uh, really that and that's what's kind of um, seeing the erasure of being an eccentric yeah well it means you can you can now um you can now pathologize it and and get time off work and get some therapy paid therapy for it in america Mm. you know Mm -hmm. so you make a category and it'll be occupied nature appalls a vacuum (laughs) right where are we um we're on speaking of um histrionic behavior and over sexualizing oneself and you know living your delusional fantasy i'm wearing very short shorts today are you talking about me yeah (laughs) 
stuck object. You just, you just cut, just I was just looking at your thighs while seeing them. Just as you've, um, just as you arrived at the door, I literally just got them up. So it was uh, out down there, seeing me running about, getting, mm. getting changed. I don't give a fuck. I just recently got shutters up in the hide at Grey Gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, dark so towers. yes, it, and dark, dark towers. Oh, Grey Gardens. There, fucking there you go. Freudian slip. Uh, as a Freudian. As a Freudian. And um, so the ca- there's really no excuse for me to be showing my taint at the window any longer. I mm. can pull those fucking shutters over and let some work. I've got to move a lamp and a, and a throw. <laughs> so they can, they can get what they, can, they get. What they get. Exactly. But um, yeah, so nevertheless, mm-hmm. Edie managed to attract male attention. Lucky bitch. Mm-hmm. Tom Logan was an ex-rodeo cowboy. Hello, Tom Logan. Working as a chef at a local restaurant. After being fired from his job, he came to Grey Gardens looking for work as a general handyman. He moved in and soon became infatuated with Little Edie. According to her, they became lovers and he spent nine years with her and the house. But Tom was an alcoholic and would frequently disappear on drinking binges. After one such absence, he returned to Grey Gardens in a terrible state, having developed pneumonia. He died in the kitchen, and Edie was convinced that his ghost haunted the estate, attributing any strange occurrences to his lingering presence. Now, have you ever shagged a ghost? No, but have I never told you? It's on my bucket list. Have I never told you this story? Um. I went out, I had a date with a guy once that told me... Now, this is is both funny and not funny, right? Okay. It's not like we're not not trying to be fucking um, horrible. But he told me he was raped by a ghost. I also dated a guy in my youth mm. who told me he was raped repeatedly by a ghost. Oh. What a strange coincidence. Is it the same guy? What was his name? I can't remember his fucking name. Well, I remember this one because of that. Well, I, I should have, if I was wise. Quite notable. Yeah, but, um, and I could not, I, lit, I met him for a pint. Uh, How did that come up in conversation? Well, obviously because he's cuckoo. Uh-huh. Did so you open he, with that? Nearly, because I only drank half a fucking pint and I couldn't get and out quick enough. And spat it out on him? Yeah. He was like, where are you going? I was like, oh, I've just got to... You know, I could not get out of there quick enough. Because well, I was just were like... Were not fascinated and said, no. please tell me more, this sounds brilliant? No. By the time somebody's told me that, I've heard enough. Oh no, I, I loved that. I felt really quite jealous, actually. No, no, no. Because I was just thinking all sorts of realistic ways of what probably happened to this person if that's been their screen memory <laughs> you know what I mean I was like no I can ask a few questions but I was like I've heard enough yeah this sounds like something that I don't really want to know about that's a bit of a red flag guys and girls thems and these, please get in touch with the podcast and tell us what are your red flags and would you consider Go somebody being sexually active or molested by a phantom would you consider <laughs> that to be a red flag well it, was, it wasn't it wouldn't it be for you it wasn't for me well i just i just thought there was also a little bit of me that thought have i got to put my dick up that ghost hole has it left cobwebs no i just kind of i thought ghost hole you know what i mean that Hashtag haunted, haunted chasm uh-huh. 
Or uh, is there still going to be some crusty ectoplasm, ectoplasm in that gusset? But you know, I just there was just all that, and hey, I thought of a thousand thoughts like that all all within like one second. I was yeah. going, no, 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 no. All of this sparking off. Aye, and I just thought no, and I felt sorry for him because I thought my brain went to obvious. This is this is probably abuse victim, child. abuse yeah. victim. Yeah. Maybe Have somebody, maybe somebody crawled into his bed covered in a white sheet with two holes three holes <laughs> poked in it and um and yeah well that see that is both funny and not funny so it's, it's that's my brand of comedy that, that's we go. Mm-hmm. so i just kind of thought right a giggle yeah. and a grimace uh, maybe he was absolute bullshit and then he thought oh she's a spooky bitch she'll lap this up she'll like that but, i mean being the very insecure eight was that 18 or 17 18 whatever that i was i was on the cusp of womanhood very suggestible and my instant thought was oh that's cool and spooky then I went to I'm jealous no ghosts ever tried to fuck me is that because I'm ugly and then my third thought was well if I fuck him now is he always going to be comparing me to this succubus and maybe am I not going to measure up to like someone's icy cold fanny or something well I used to wonder I mean there's all those cases of kind of priests touching young people but, but, but mostly boys and I was like I, I used to roll a bit my mum was getting trained to become a Catholic and I'd go down to the, the priest's house did she convert? no she was gone right because we got we got told at primary school she would go to a different part of heaven the, the VIP section no because she was a Protestant road. so she oh, was going to be lucky to get in yeah, at all right so we were we, I just thought it was visitation through kind of like I don't know you just could she can, she can hover about the foyer but she's not getting in something like that so we prob- we put a lot of pressure on her as brainwashed children to, kinda, to do it uh, but she, she finally never anyway I think we, we came to and said you didn't need to type thing long before it happened but I'd be rolling about eating biscuits watching Moonlighting down at the, the priest's house and they never fucking gave me a kind look now, and I, that's that when you go what's the matter oh, you know, what's the matter with me uh-huh. I couldn't I thought Am I not, am I not pretty it. enough? Uh-huh. <laughs> Going down with my... Do you know why you never got Because I've got a big gub. Because you're too gubby. I know. Yeah, they just saw him and thought, he's sexy. But he'll tell but everybody. But he's trouble. Yeah. <laughs> sexy but trouble. And I can only think that that's why I yeah. personally was never abused. by ghosts. By ghosts, because I wouldn't be scared, so they wouldn't get the sadistic kick out of it. I think that's why I've never been haunted as well, because I think they like people who are going to be scared and give them a reaction, whereas I would just be like, oh, that's um, nice. What's her name out of the back um, was telling me, she forgets that she tells me things. She's, a, she's of a certain age, and um, she says, I'm a white witch, and I can put spells on people. <laughs> right? And I went, okay. and I thought, I'm not going to say nothing, you know, I felt like going out a fucking black witch, and I can uh-huh. fucking murder people. Uh-huh. But I was just like, oh, She's kind of crystals and, and angels. Type. I mean, lovely, absolutely uh-huh. lovely, you know, but I'm just like... I but she's one of the Eurasia crafts, which ah, is... You, can, you, you could find that in the corner of most shops, uh-huh. that type of spirituality, but which is fine, it all has its place and its power. But uh, I was like, yeah, I invoke fucking demons, and often, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I thought, no, I'll just, I'll just leave her alone. But uh, what were we talking about? Spooky rape Shagging victims. Ghosts and that, uh. Yeah, please tell us what your what what either your your stories about the craziest fucking mad thing 
that somebody said to you on a first date. We don't. We won't. You don't need to name yourself. I mean, we will we'll not share it, but we will have a good I laugh. I'd love to read out some um, some of your yeah, that would stories. Be good. That would be good. So I want to know any um, encounters with the paranormal. That is often the second thing that I'll ask a prospective suitor after I find out their date and place and time of birth. I thought you were going to say, we've just, we were speaking the other day about whether underneath photos on Instagram and uh, Facebook you can just write hung. <laughs> I really wish because uh-huh. there was one person that we, that we, that we both know. Yeah, as, as a bit of a peacocking pretty boy mm. uh, that we would both like to pee on. Pee and peg. Uh, the <laughs> Maybe P and Peg should be our new podcast Aye. names. <laughs> your P. Uh, um, uh, no, your P and Peg. Right, okay, you need okay. Peg. Oh, to shock people, I wouldn't want to put it. I'd rather have a fucking silicone one. <laughs> but um, <laughs> P and Peg. Uh, yeah, um, that. Would you ask? I wonder what. I wonder if he's been touched by an angel. That's what they used to call people with like disabled and that, didn't they? Touched by an angel, fucking slapped by an angel. angel. (laughs) Getting touched, getting touched (laughs) up by an angel. I had a beat. There was a. Did you hear this like BJ's thing that was happening? Yeah, yeah. So that little vibrato. Yeah. So please, 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 let us know. Please don't um, hold back. Don't no holds back. No No, holds or holds. Yes. So I think it's it's time for you to. was more of this this fascinating tale right so Edie had a boyfriend Edie's boyfriend was an alky Edie's boyfriend died but he was still haunting so I wonder if she got pumped by a ghost one can only hope but just as she had the Virgin Mary the Virgin Mary there we go and you know what it's good enough for her Let's not yuck her well, yum, shall we? There's no shame in this game. But just as she had nothing but scorn for her mother's companions, Big Edie seemed intent on sabotaging her daughter's romantic prospects, so they're both cock-blocking each other. Mm-hmm. After Tom, few men were allowed past the threshold, and those who were soon beat a hasty retreat upon witnessing the toxic and codependent relationship between the women. Little Edie felt that her mother scared men off because she didn't want her daughter to abandon her as the rest of the family had. So Edie spent her days reminiscing about her lost loves, often embellishing or even entirely fabricating doomed love affairs of her youth. I think I'm going to start doing that. I might as well. I I did see a, a meme the other day, it was just saying, tell everybody different stories so that when they get together to talk about you they have an argument that's fantastic and I quite like that mm-hmm. but I think we've spoke about that before I think um, everybody's entitled to a little bit of fucking glitter on top of the, the shit that's happened to them I'm all for self-deception and delusion yeah. and look, can I give the people a little bit of entertainment putting on the putting the on the ritz putting on the shits putting on the shits getting the shits putting on the ritz um, yeah so Little Edie claimed to have received proposals from Joe Kennedy Jr., who is a U.S. Navy lieutenant and brother. I don't know whether it's lieutenant or lieutenant. I fucking hate words like that. I think in America it's lieutenant. Lieutenant, but we are in Britain. Or about, I think, is it Fuck knows. Fuck knows. You know what I mean, you know what I mean, right? 
I've spelled it right anyway. There's never any fucking red lines on that shit. <laughs> anyway, so that was him. And he was the brother of the president, John F. Kennedy. So she claimed that he'd proposed to her. He died. I think his plane got shot down. So he died, RIP, to Joe Kennedy. She also claimed to have dated and received a marriage proposal from the billionaire oil tycoon J. Cole Getty. But the true love of her life was President Truman's Secretary of the, In- Secretary of the Interior, Ooh. Julius Krug. She met Krug when she was living in the Barbican. No, it was the Barbizan. Why is mm. it automatically corrected? Fuck you, don't tell me what things are. Mm-hmm. She was living in this women's only hotel in New York when she met him. As a girl of slender means. A girl of slender means. He was a married man. Nevertheless, he and Edie had a passionate love affair, which she never truly got over. In fact, she maintained that the ghost of Julius Krug prevented her from being able to find happiness with another man thereafter. See, that's what I mean. So she she isn't fucking ghost for any reason. Ghost is an excuse. Not to get pumped. Uh, uh-huh. uh, uh, and uh, they're either dead. No, actually, they're all dead. So mm-hmm. she, uh, I don't know if um, John Paul Getty was was dead at the time, but everybody else was fucking dead. So she it's could convenient. say, "But she, aye, that's quite nice." But Imagine when you've got a dead ex, blocked by a series of dead exes. You said it's nice when you've got a dead ex. Well, it's closure. Uh, uh, it's definitely that's closure of a, of a coffin. <laughs> it definitely it adds a certain piquancy to um, one's life. It's kind of. It's quite interesting. Uh, I uh, I have a dead ex, and um, I will not name names, but it does, you can kind of hang quite a lot on it. Mm. You know what I mean? It's quite kind of, I do understand why she was doing it. You can kind of, there's, there's a whole woulda, coulda, shoulda, um, there's a, a romance to it that yeah. you can, can kind of um, never truly recover from and pine for a little bit. Yeah, well, they, they, when people die, they can no longer disappoint you. In bed. Or embarrass themselves. <laughs> no, they can no longer... Aye, you, can, you can shave off some edges and stuff, eh? Mm-hmm. And you can think, oh, if only. You know, mm-hmm. so it kind of mm-hmm. plays into that. So I do understand It's quite that. romantic. Yeah, as, in, yeah. As, as we have discovered, we're definitely not. Mm-hmm. So visitors to Grey Gardens uh, were few and far between. Living in a dysfunctional insular bubble... And with funds rapidly diminishing, the once grand house fell into disrepair. Little Edie stashed silverware, jewellery and various heirlooms under her mattress, while she tried to sell to her occasional um, which she tried to sell to her occasional guests as a means of scraping together enough money to keep the lights on and food in the cupboards. I think that was the ghost of Julius Krug that you can hear in the background. Or was it your Amazon delivery? Something clattered through the letterbox, yeah. Hang on, we'll just pause and see see what's come through the letterbox. No, it was something in my bed. I I think I know what it was. It was your toppling tower of empty uh, cat food cans. (laughs) I think it was the bitty McCullough. My body wash keeps on falling into the bath. So it's nothing very it's nothing very exciting really. And but like, I could say it was the ghost of my ex lover lover. Well, it's funny that we just were mentioning him and kind of laughing and mocking and stuff like that. And he's then followed it you. And then he's just like, Remember me? Well, I did see him after he died. 
Um, as in his cadaver? No. Or in a ghostly form? In a ghostly Can form. Can you tell the story? Very quickly. Okay. It, it was a just, it was the next again day and I was in bed and I woke up and he was standing leaning against the wall mm-hmm. and he said, it's all right, everything's all right and then just disappeared. It was very easy, very simple. Wow. You know? And... Uh, but as solid as you, and then as nothing as as nothing as me. <laughs> but you just honestly, it was just oh, okay. And uh, I mean, if that's the mind doing its thing, that's still interesting to me, of course, you know. And if it's not, if it's anything else, kind of other than that, then that's interesting too. So yeah, I mean, I used to think he used to touch me on the arse as well. <laughs> like if I see if you're, but I was, but like, because that's what you would have done. You know what I mean? Like a pat on the arse if you were trying to put a plug in or something. So that that would happen occasionally, but if if it was a body memory, if it was just kind of some kind of like somatic, well, you tracked some kind of nerve in yeah, your I mean, you know, but if it was that, but it's funny how you make that association and then we we, we create create or I don't know, we we see and feel and want these things to be something else, or maybe they are both these things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you got to, we need these stories to survive. Yeah, it makes things more interesting. Yeah, and it makes life bearable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where was I? So she was stashing silverware and stuff under a mattress and trying to sell it to make some money. Yeah. Society portraits of the women hung on walls infested with black mould, which some theorise contributed to, um, to, to the two EDs' mental decline. Z. Uh, they were compulsive hoarders. Rooms were, were filled up with bags of trash, forcing the women to decamp to another corner of the house before that too would become uninhabitable and they were confined to yet another wing. At one point, there were over 50 cats roaming the estate and the accumulation of waste attracted raccoons. I mean, the raccoons are very now, the aren't they? are very cute. There's lots of raccoon memes and, like, mm-hmm. you know... I'm not seeing anything the matter with that. The estranged brother, Bouvier, attempted to persuade the women to move out, but it was all the Edies had left and they refused to relinquish their home their stage. Mm-hmm. Little Edie claimed that it was Bouvier who, Bouvier who arranged the village of East Hampton to carry out a raid on the property. It probably was, eh? Probably was. He was I mean, but he'd be genuinely worried, but give them some fucking money and tidy it yourself. I mean, that's what they wanted. They wanted to remain living there. They didn't want to have to leave. So what he should have done is just give them some fucking money instead of trying to bully them into leaving their home. Arsehole. So in 1971, the Suffolk County Department of Health declared Grey Gardens unfit for human habitation after they found the home strewn with cat shit, raccoon shit, and even human shit. I draw the line. I draw the line. There were no functioning toilet facilities, and the only source of running water was the tap in the kitchen sink. So they weren't really able to wash themselves. I don't think dishes were really being done. At least let Alidia like to swim. The, yeah, she was probably yeah, she was probably as fresh as one could be, just swimming in the sea in the Atlantic Ocean. But I mean the the toilet wouldn't be flushing, it would be humming. Where's Alidia shitting? Oh, she's probably just fucking shits in her bed, rolls over, waits until that shit dries out, and once it's dry, it's like you know when you, your cat does a shit. Yeah. And you just want to kind of roll it around in the cat litter so that it gets coated in dust so that when you scoop it up, the shit doesn't transfer to the scooper. Mm-hmm. It's nice and dry and you just, just toss down the toilet and flush it. I mean, I just wouldn't want to clean 
Edgy's cage. No, no, no. She'd have a monkey cage. She probably does a shit, right? She does a shit, curls it out, rolls <laughs> rolls over to the side of the bed, waits for that shit to, you know, interact with the air and harden. And then once it's become hard and non-transferable, she probably just gets her foot and flicks it, flicks it off the bed and onto the floor, and then maybe a raccoon will walk past, grab it between its teeth and yeah, scuttle nice. off to the attic. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm seeing yeah, it's do you know what? They're they're trying to function however they can. Okay. The floor was littered with empty cans of cat food and debris piled up four feet high. Antique wooden furniture had been left to rot. Broken windows let in the biting sea winds. And there was even a tree growing through the ceiling of the master bedroom, which is quite magic beanstalk. It's quite, you know, you're bringing the outside in. People would pay for that. People would pay for that nowadays. I'm saying we're bringing the outside in. I'm sitting in the living room in the salon area of Dark Towers and Alex has put up this beautiful muriel wall mm-hmm. of a lovely um, forest scene. Very Turner-esque. Very Turner-esque and you know he's bringing the outside in. Yeah well I mean it's either that or look at the nail salon outside facing me. Oh. I just thought I'll just bring a little bit of a little bit of um, Petworth romance from mm. from a, 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 an aeon ago yes. into, into the home. And I've got shutters put up, I think I mentioned them, so you can shut, I'm fucking obsessed. So you can shut the windows, but then on the shutters, there is also this pastoral scene. It's the, back, the, same, the same scene. A continuation of the muriel. It'll be nice when we're doing this in the winter and <gasps> we've got it shut and we've got the candles oh. You know, cozy, cozy yeah, times. Yeah. So yes, I mean it's it's a deco choice. Um, the women were found to be living in one room where they prepared their meals on a tiny portable stove by the bed. They were violating every single health and building code in the books, and they were told to clean up or get out. I mean, really, you just think they should have got them out and knocked that down, eh? Mm, no. You like them in it. I like I them mean, in I it. I do too. I like it for them. The I mean, it sounds like you could never pull that back from the brink. But it did, but it's it as you see, it's going to cost millions, yeah. millions. And I think as well. Uh, I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, there's a fashion for hoarders programs. Are they still ongoing? Yes. Yeah, I am fascinated by them. I love them. I can't watch it. I love them, um, but at the same time. You know, what people do within their own walls of their own property yeah. is entirely up to them. Only when it begins to impact on the surrounding properties do I agree with intervention. Because I suppose if you lived downwind from Grey Gardens, yeah. th- there would be complaints made because the, the, the yeah. fragrance of fishies <laughs> would be carried upon the sea breeze. I mean, I would, and it would ruin any kind of barbecues or garden <laughs> parties. A pool party was ruined. Mm-hmm. But, the, I mean, you can't do it. In, but although you see people that have done it and do do it in a city, mm-hmm. you know. But I just think, um, I mean, if you're shitting in Tesco bags and all that and piling them up in a cupboard. That's an issue. Can't, and the, and you, would, you can't do that in a, you can't do that in a tenement. No, people do. They do. People do. The women, see my old flat, mm. the women underneath, um, 
Jean, the old woman um, under, underneath me, used to, she had moved in, I think I've mentioned her before, she had moved in, uh, maybe in the, maybe 40s or 50s, and did nothing to the to the place, right? So she still had the old range in the, in the living room. Oh, wow. And the sink was over at the window, and to- her her toilet was out in the. You know, had that cupboard that, down in the hall. That door to nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. That that kind of long cupboard uh-huh. that I had was was the old toilet, and she, um, that was where she dumped her, her Tesco bags. No, that's where I'm guessing she. That's you where she used as a toilet. Yeah. Can, uh, and. So you can kind. Of, I mean, she wasn't living like that. Was she a hoarder or was no, she just no, 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 no. a time capsule? She was a time capsule. She was just one of the wee people that, that kind of like... I mean, I used to feel sorry for her, but she didn't want any help whatsoever. And do you know what? If that's the way that she's always lived... I know. What am I, I mean, what have I got? I've got no rights to, to try and impose what I think of as the way she should be living on her. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, but when she died, there were, the only smell that ever came out of that place was her corpse. So she was, yeah, that's how I knew she was fucking dead. What does corpse smell like? It smells like bacon and lentil soup that's went off. Really? Yeah. So kind of sweet and sickly, but also kind of sour and You know there's meat happening, right? There's meat happening. Slow cooker. Yeah, and I actually, because I chapped her door and all that, hadn't I? I had been gone through Edinburgh for a few days and I uh, saw her on the stairs and her lips were fucking blue. Oh. And I, said, I was like, can I help you? I'll be all right. Da, 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 da. No, son, no, son. She just wouldn't take any help whatsoever. Mm. Uh, so I had to fuck off and then came back and I think as I walked by the door, I kind of thought, oh, that's a funny smell. Mm. I mean, I'd never smelled she death before. Is she making off lentil soup with, with ham hock in it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went up the stairs and I thought, I think I think by the time I got up to my floor, I was thinking, I think that's death. Right. I don't know, but I've put two and two together. The fact that the last time I saw her, she had blue lips. You know what I mean? It wasn't. It wasn't a fucking genius. And that night, as you lay in your bed, you started to feel those blue lips on <laughs> the base of your shaft. <laughs> the base of it. So it just it already went <laughs> right down. So I had to go and sniff at her letterbox. Did you actually? Yeah. Oh God, just for confirmation. And then I did have to look in as well because I thought it's in? only fair. What did you see? I didn't see anything, but I thought as as a as I a concerned up. citizen, you know what I mean. Uh, and I like I, I mean I couldn't say I fucking loved her. I didn't know, her, but I had feelings for her. I liked her. She was a familiar. She wasn't. She was so fucking lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just felt that kind of natural outpouring of care you do. You know what mm-hmm. I mean. And I did. I kind of felt she was a bit neglected, and I thought she should have family, family that are looking yeah. after her. Well, apparently her family stayed around the fucking corner, but she, so she must just have wanted left alone. You know, know what I mean? Sometimes there's no help in folk that don't want help. No, but there was, so I've not smelled shit coming from my house, but I have smelled a dead body. Okay. So, um, the press soon got hold of the story and had a field day with the titillating gossip that former first lady. Jackie Kennedy or Nasus relatives were living in a flea and feces ridden filth and squalor, squalor palace and in an attempt to hope further bad publicity Jackie and her sister Lee decided to pay for repairs to bring the house up to code and save the bills from forced eviction over a thousand bags of rubbish were removed from the house the ceiling was repaired running water and a heating system were installed and around four thousand 
dollars worth of renovations were carried out, but they couldn't plaster and paint over the cracks in the women's side case. And before long, Grey Gardens returned to its former decrepit state. Yes, in 1972, Jackie's sister Lee Radziwill enlisted the photographer Peter Beard and the filmmakers Albert and David Maisels to make a documentary on her childhood in East Hampton. They visited Grey Gardens, where Jackie and Lee had spent many a summer with the Beals. Lee wanted her aunt, Big Edie, to narrate the film. Upon meeting the Edies, the Maisel's brothers' focus shifted. They were immediately struck by the women's determined efforts to eke out a kind of life amid the ruins, treading a fine line between eccentricity and madness. The footage they shot over that two-week visit was later confiscated by Lee and didn't see the light of day until it was released in 2017 as a documentary called That Summer. I've not seen that. I haven't seen that. You can get it now online. You can find it now. It's not as well known and celebrated and cult statusy as Grey Gardens documentary, but it's you know the footage that you see there is really quite interesting because um, it was it was shot you know just as the renovations had happened. Yeah. So by the time they come back to film the the Grey Gardens documentary that we all know, um, the the house had deteriorated quite significantly. Although saying that, uh-huh. I really love their, their kind of kitchen dining area downstairs. Mm. That mm. blue yeah. is lovely. Oh, some of the, the deco is really, really Aye. lovely. Yeah. Can, I mean, again, uh, folk would pay for that. That, oh, that kind of shabby chic. Hashtag shabby chic. Uh, look down the stairs is fucking gorgeous. I mean, but upstairs is just turning into what it was previously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how quickly things can regress and things can decline. I can fucking dirty a room in five seconds flat. You come in, shoes off, jacket off, um, bags down, yeah. earphones off, hat uh-huh. off, whatever. You know what I mean? You can see how easily it, it can happen. I mean, if I leave dishes in the sink for a couple of days, I start thinking, oh, fuck, this is Grey Gardens here. Like. I know. I, leave, I, I don't mind them. If they, if they start smelling, then you know there's a problem. Oh, yes. Or they, they need fucking bath lines to clear them. Oh, I hate them. I've got ants at the minute. Anastasia was telling me about something that she's been using to get rid of them out the back. I should ask her. Now they they're not they're in the back, yes, but I've seen them in the carpet, <gasps> in the living room, and in the kitchen. And so I've got bug spray, but I'm kind of fear to be spraying that too liberally Take in case that. it's poisonous for my baby. Do you want me to go and have a talk to them? I mean, I've tried to get on their level as a Buddhist, <laughs> and just ask them to leave. Jesus, fuck off. And then. I just spray them and spray them and spray them until they just it's funny, stop moving. It's really, we're evil, evil bad, but sometimes the smaller the thing is, the easier I find it to kill it. You know when they're yeah, tiny. Yeah, when they're tiny because there's there's no humanity. I don't really want to kill anything bigger than a fly. No, I wouldn't. I would I if it was a big fuck off fucking spider. I'd yeah, I'd get a fingers? baseball bat. I've been getting a lot better in recent years at not killing them. I've Aye. seen a few spiders in my house. Yeah, and they're good for fucking killing the ants a bit. Yeah, and do you know what? I've seen them. I thought, I don't love you, but I recognise your right to exist. But please, just don't crawl in my mouth. Oh, but they do. I mean, I, th- I mean, I was really lucky in that old flat as well. Uh, 
at the, the beginning there were spiders and then I told them to fuck off and I, I never saw one again for about 12 years or something you just told them to fuck yeah. off yeah I said well if you come I'll kill you ah. and I don't like killing you you know what I mean? Well, I have to because I'm scared again that I'm irrational and that, that'll be my response. I'll kill you before I even realise I've killed you. Uh-huh, and I'll feel sorry for a minute and then I'll get distracted then I'll get over by that. something else. And then I, r- I rarely, I didn't think I ever saw one after that. I can't remember ever seeing one after that. Yeah. Maybe they just did. I They probably got the message and thought, fuck this, let's go out and crawl over his face at night. Or maybe they thought, well, Stansteer's neighbours just died, so let's we've got a feast. There. It's a bloody Beijing banquet buffet, all you can eat. Um, Yeah, so So the photographer, Peter Beard, who was involved in that initial round of filming, said, I never thought of the Beals as unfortunate or sad or anything except very excellent at feeling what it was like to hold on to the past, which I think is quite a beautiful reflection. Yeah, it is, but that's that's an that's an exploitative artist's view of looking at things that are very photographic, photogenic, sorry. Yeah. I think I think that, that dispassion, dispassionate artist's kind of thing to record things and to do, ah, no, you're looking for fucking, you're looking for interest and, you know. Mm. I, so maybe a bit disingenuous. A little bit. But beautifully put. And it's, and it's understandable because, like, as we've said, they were both suffering and thriving in there and, and who's not? And also the love to perform yeah it was a stage I think by the time it's four foot high and you're shitting in a bag yeah but then again I mean if you've got any real right to try and change somebody's fucking behaviour no I mean unless it's impinging on yours I mean I don't think so eh I don't think so and bloody hell people live in far worse states and have far worse habits than shitting in a bag I know. There's just something within it where you think there could be somebody looking after you. But then they want you left alone. Aye, I'd rather be left alone to shit in a bag than have to tolerate another person's another judgment. Yeah, I know. No, yeah. I know. Leave me to shit in, in, in bags. It's my shit, it's my bag, it's my house. Fuck off. <laughs> so um, the, the Maisels returned to Grey Gardens the following year and filmed the Beals over a six week period. The crew filmed among the empty cat food cans and raccoon droppings and had to wear flea collars around their ankles. But they quickly acclimatised to the sights, sounds and smells of the mansion and its owners. The Beals were delighted to have a captive audience in the, uh, in the, the Maisels and their crew and they amped up their antics accordingly. Both women were shameless exhibitionists, a refreshing contrast with the repressed genteel modesty expected of women of their class. Big Edie's arthritis left her mostly confined to her bed and she didn't see much point in getting properly dressed, even for the cameras. She was often threatening to expose herself and even flapping out a tit on several occasions, much to the scorn of her daughter. Little Edie, um, whose only real education was aimed towards making her more attractive to potential suitors, reminisced about lost love affairs, flirted with the filmmakers and indulged in her fantasies of finding the man of her dreams who would rescue her from her current predicament. Have you ever had any of those fantasies where you've thought somebody could come and take me away from all that? You know that no. scene in Orlando where um, Billy, when he was gorgeous, what's he fucking called? He was in Titanic. Oh. Billy Zane. Uh-huh. 
uh, when he is is on the horse, kind of coming, you know, the usual kind of, and she, she's, I suppose, I can't even remember if that scene's in the book, but I suppose they're, I, I don't even know if they're mocking that cliche in the film. I can't even remember. Of the, the, the knight in but white I, satin. Of, you know, but there is that kind of thing. I think maybe, I've never wanted anybody to come and make it all better. Do you know what I have never ever fantasised or even contemplated or entertained the thought that someone could come along and whisk me away or you know sort all problems sort out all problems or just come into my life and be this whirlwind love affair or anything. I never thought about that because I just I'm I think I've always just known that's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. I think that I think I mean, we probably were really, I'm guessing you were as well, really, really fascinated and into fairy tales and stuff like that, right? But I knew they were fucking fairy tales. And I always identified more with, like, the the witch or the the outcasty kind of character who did everything for themselves. I thought you were going to say the dwarfs and... and (laughs) 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 Very funny, very Uh, funny. No, I know, I I think there's been... Ah, like, like, okay, I do have kind of romantic fantasies but they're always to be left the fuck alone mm-hmm. you know what I mean they're not uh, my, my romantic fantasy and if they did involve another person it would be two houses yeah and kind of people and maybe it's like a tunnel in between them no a fucking a moat a, 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 a train line a train line I don't need them to be near like I just and, and kind of I've always just thought just within a you know yeah. under half an hour's commute yeah I think a wee house outside Glasgow and we, we keep the hide here mm-hmm. and jump between the two. I mean, no, no, very few folk need to actually work in a city any longer, you know, and yeah. I don't. So it's just like, uh, I, I think that if, the, if there's kind of good trust and kind of all that stuff, then that's romance to me. Yeah. Like, it's not. But solving your problems, I know that my problems are mine. And also, I like solving my own problems well, that's growth eh? and, and you can see you can you can then mark change and growth and also you can take credit for everything mm-hmm. that you've done because you've done it yourself yeah, yeah. you're see you're you're good at that i'm a, i'm a, like that must be your scorpio thing mm-hmm. i wish i was a little bit more independent like that you are well i am i know in what ways aren't you i don't know i don't know why i think i'm not you, you think know? you're not, but you are, though. Yeah, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, my romance and my, my romantic relationships with my fucking self. Yeah, same. I definitely have never needed a thing, an objet, a, 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 um, a, a thing outside me to be the, the kind of... The thing the, that completes Yeah, the panacea, the cure-all, the fucking... Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah, and if you've not got that sorted within you, you wouldn't even recognise it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I don't know. I and I, I hate that pish rhetoric as well where it's like folks say about the romantic partner oh he or she completes me um, no I'm not a fucking incomplete person no, I certainly don't need yourself. some stupid like flesh bag to be the missing piece of a puzzle if, if, if by that people mean um, support me when I need a little bit of support or they compliment you because you're 
I don't know deficiencies they make of force. I don't. Think I don't know. I don't get it. But I think if the if it's quite nice to feel. I mean, I get it from friends and family, like yeah, support. You support, know what I mean? Uh-huh. And and compassion and understanding and help. All those and care. And we all need that. Yeah. Even hermits and the small the like small us. words I call them. All mm-hmm. those kind of things like like uh, care and. Um, Joy, even you know, all those embarrassing small words are, are the things that are, you've got to have a, a relationship with yourself, and then you can have them met and mirrored and touched, mm-hmm. you know, by by um, the the kind of lover, your beloved friends and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I, I mean, and of course, I, I think you can get that and, and things beyond that. I think it's rock for me, it, it's the idea that that's where they're. Where they should be met. That that's hit that heteronormative fucking injunction, mm-hmm. right? To to be a, a kind of a reproducing couple. Yeah. You know, although saying that we were talking earlier on about me not being into polyamory and all that shit. Mm-hmm. And that very funny story you told me about an ex. Oh yeah. That you saw in a park see, the I other thought, day. See, this is why I'm excellent at keeping secrets because I've got the memories like a sieve. I'm like, what? Who's my ex? You're oh, ex. so any friends listening, um, you need to, I will be texting you soon about a very funny story about um, my last, I could say big ex because it was a long time that we went mm-hmm. out together for, uh, uh, that I've, I've just been getting some, some very funny juicy gossip about, so I'll be telling you all as soon as we finish this. <laughs> But so where were we? Let's get back to the Beatles. Okay. Um, da, 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 da. Yeah, so it's my go. Despite the women's circumstances limiting their social life and effectively forcing them into reclusion, there were several regular visitors to Grey Gardens over the years. Brooks Hyas was the handyman at the property for many years, an ex-athlete from Florida who came to work at the estate after the raid in 1971. However, like Tom Logan before him, Hyas was an alcoholic and the women often suspected him of stealing. Could be racism because he was also a black man. Oh. Um, but never mind. Did they mention that in, in the, the documentary or do you know this? Um, I know this from my extensive research. Um, but yeah, it's unclear whether he was terrible at his job, given the constant decrepit state of the house and its grounds, or whether the task of maintaining Grey Gardens was just impossible for one person and next to no money or equipment. So he can mow the grass as much as he fucking wants. It's still going to be an absolute state. You see some of the people that we get to come and do some work in the, in the, the, the garden just kind of standing, rubbing their heads, wondering what the fuck... Where do you I... start? Where do you fucking start? Um, another peripheral character who features in the documentary and who we briefly alluded to earlier was Jerry Torrey, a teenage runaway who came to East Hampton to escape an abusive family life. Do you know anything about him? I have researched him a lot and found out about him afterwards. So he was gay? Yes. Now, as soon as I saw him, I thought, hello. Hello. Uh, I mean, he's cute as a button, eh? He was very cute. Yeah. He's, he's, he's exactly ju- the kind of handyman mm-hmm. you'd want on your estate. Yeah. As my, my now older gay man thing immediately went, oh, trade. Trade. Straight away. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, I've seen that on, um, what do you call it? Those kind of straight buddies wanking each other off type porn things that you see all In the, the time. the pornographic films. Industry. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's that, that kind of look. That yeah, you, that you it's, see a, all it's the a time. type. 
Yeah, yeah. it's that kind of ju- um, one beer later, mm-hmm. then the, the, the winkies will be out. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But he ended up being a, a quite an intro. Actually, he's, he's, he's a sculptor now. Aha! But for, for years and years and years after this, people didn't know what had become of him. Do you know what I mean? And he was like driving cabs in New York. Ah, right. See, I, I, he's got a, a book and I've got it just starred or something and I'm going to get, I'm just waiting to be fucking paid. Is it the one that's called The Marble Fawn of Grey yeah. Gardens? Yeah. So I'll, I'll read it and give you it, right? Oh, fabulous. Because uh, I'm interested and, and his sculptures are actually quite interesting. I think they're, I think they're maybe clay. No, stone. Stone. Uh, uh, hence the marble phone. Yeah, we've oh. got to keep the brand. We've got to keep the brand. Oh, keep on brand. So when he was young, this is what this is before he disappeared, became a cabbie, and then was rediscovered, became a sculptor, la di da di da. So he was trimming some bushes, and he glimpsed a woman in a headscarf and black sunglasses walking the path to Grey Gardens, and he was like, "Hello, it was Jackie Kennedy." Fascinated, Jerry made his way over and introduced himself to the Beals, who employed, who then employed him. He could spot a camp. He he was like, I I see a camp icon. So they employed him as a general handyman. His presence triggered a sense of jealousy and competition between the Beal women. Big Edie had a flirtatious relationship with Jerry, nicknaming him the Marble Fawn after the story by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Is he late? Is it like 1860 or 1880? 18, 18, 18, um, 18, I think late... 18, 1800s. I'm just going to shut the fuck up because I'm probably saying... Just guessing. I'm just guessing. I'm I just stabbing in the dark. many or much about that. I say that when you think about what you have read. But yeah. I'm not really an expert in American literature. We can't be experts. I'll read it. Thing. Let you know if it's good or not. Right. right. I'll be the guinea pig. Um, so, do, 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 do. they nicknamed him the Marble Fawn. Of his time at Grey Gardens, Jerry recalls, they showed me a life where I could be myself, explore and take chances. So it was clearly a formative time that that left a lasting impression. In 2018, he published his memoirs entitled The Marble Fawn of Grey Gardens, which you've said is on your wish list. And you'll you'll lend it me I once shall. you've read it. He seemed really sweet, didn't he? Really, a really sweet, genuine boy who was just totally taken with these two eccentric old bags yeah. and you could see there was definitely I think um, mutual Day, affection yeah, there really, really liked each they other. hit it off and it was somewhat of like a kind of maternal yeah. fondness she had of him because remember her two sons didn't want anything to do with her anymore and they totally shunned her for the exact qualities and traits that the marble phone yeah. found brilliant and endearing and he just thought they were fabulous you, you know he needed that he obviously he needed that as well, so he, his exactly his family background you know they'd rejected him we don't know whether he himself was aware of his gayness at the mm-hmm. time or whether that was a latent thing that would later emerge but he found them and he felt nurtured and seen and he clicked with them and then they really appreciated him being there as well. It's a nice wee, a nice wee thing to happen. I'll, I'll, I'll appear, so I go, oh. I know, bless him, there he, he is again. Just a baby. A wee sweetheart. You know. Another visitor to the house was Lois Wright, who had lived in East Hampton since the age of 12 and whose mother was a close friend of Biggie D. Beale. Biggie D. Beale. Do you like the way I said that? Lois actually lived at Grey Gardens for a period in the 70s and later published her own memoir based on her journals, documenting her time there. Lois and the Beals were kindred spirits. 
the trappings and etiquette of their privileged class were at odds with their eccentric bohemian natures. Lois was known as the palmist of the Hamptons and had read the fortune of many a celebrity who had passed through those parts, including Betty Davis. Little Edie shared Lois' psychic predilections, claiming to have seen several spirits around the home, including a faceless entity in her mother's room. There was also a spirit Little Edie referred to as the captain, the ghost of a man she had an affair with before she left New York. Another one. She's off her fucking head. Seriously? I know, but like, every boyfriend's dead or... A ghost. Or convenient. It's, it's it's like when you're a kid, right? Well, speaking for myself here, yeah, but I think most, mm, I don't know, you'd always want to have a boyfriend in school because your pals were getting boyfriends and stuff, and then for some reason, I cannot possibly put my finger on, nobody was interested in me, so I'd have to invent a boyfriend. And I, ah, I invented school. a boyfriend named Darren. Oh, and uh, horrible, uh, name, horrible name, but I had to pick something believably shit. Yeah, you know I mean, works. rather than like fucking Horatio or something, <laughs> had to be someone who's going to be living in those so, parts. My, my, my Sebastian, Aloysius, uh, um, and it's like no, he goes to a different school. So this is just like a version of that. It's like oh yeah, my boyfriend. Oh well, where is he? Well, he's a ghost, so mm-hmm. you can't see him. Mm-hmm. I like. I, it does. It makes. It makes perfect sense, and it doesn't. Uh, She's got a haunted fanny then. Uh huh. That, Crusty ectoplasm. That is it. just mental, but Love it no wonder. No, no wonder everybody was worried. Stop, anyway. Stop king shaming, please. I can. I know. I know. I know. Well, it does. I mean, can I go cheat on you and leave? Yeah. Everything? Do you not remember that story? It was in all them magazines, like pick me up and take a shit and stuff like no, that. But it was like the the woman who um was married to the ghost of a pirate. Basically, she really liked the film um, Pirates of the Caribbean, right? <laughs> um, so she conveniently happened to meet on the astral plane the ghost of a pirate that just was like Captain Jack Sparrow. I think it was even maybe he's called Captain Jack. Right. And maybe she just liked the spiced rum or something, Captain Morgan's. And anyway, so they got married, mm-hmm. the pirate-themed, pirate-ghost-themed wedding. But then, you know, later on, there was another follow-up story in Take a Shit, Pick Me Up, Pick Up My Shit. And it was um, apparently he cheated on her. Fuck. I... You can't even trust a fucking dead man. Nah. They're better off just going out with ones in jail. Ah, well, yeah. Or ones on a tag. Yeah, at least you can fucking keep tabs... Literally keep fucking tabs on them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I've thought about writing to men in jail. Mm-hmm. It passed through my head. I, was, uh, I can't even remember... But then you'd be worried in case they got let out. And yeah, you don't want them out. No, I mean, it's have to be a life fight. Death row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then, you, then they could come and um, come and shaggy once they're dead. Oh. See, I just I like the idea. Well, I think it, it's quite Buddhist to um, to go for folk in prison. You know what I mean? And it yeah. is because folk are fucking neglected, and it's and it's gen generally out of poverty that people make these fucking decisions. It's you know, it's I've got a lot of care and time folk that have kind of went through that they've made they've had usually had terrible 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 upbringings and made terrible decisions true but i think if they'd crimed against you you might not be as compassionate i don't know because i'm not a buddha but i would um give that a go i'm quite forgiven you know but anyway i if they'd nicked my laptop and all that maybe i wouldn't be be less willing to 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 victim a call no i would give it a go unless they were hot 
Could forgive yeah. most things as someone's fault. Yes, always forgiven. So, um, oh, it's me, isn't it? It's you, so the captain. Uh, yeah. So Lois kept a log of all the paranormal phenomena she experienced in the house, including mysterious noises, orbs, and even UFO sightings. Could these have been hallucinations brought on by the effects of black mould? Possible. Possibly. Or poisoning from the bacteria in the cat urine <laughs> that saturated You're the upholstery. <laughs> that saturated the upholstery. Um, you know, if Grey Gardens was genuinely haunted, but between the raccoon infestation and toppling towers of junks, it's safe to say that bumps in the night <laughs> were a regular occurrence. So the documentary premiered in 1976 to a mixed reception. Some critics accused the Maisels of exploiting the Beale circumstances for the purposes of entertainment. In an article for the New York Times, critic Walter Goodman criticised the film as voyeuristic, portraying the Beals as a pair of grotesques. Albert Maisels refuted the claim that they'd exploited the mentally ill, saying, as someone with a background in psychology, I knew better than to claim that they were mentally ill. Yeah, I think, I mean, we didn't fucking just die. We do. We, we diagnose do. everything. Yeah. I mean, but only for fun. But, like, mm. it's like, you don't go about fucking diagnosing everything that you look at. Just, you're allowed to be kooky, eccentric, different, without having to be mentally ill. Just because somebody lives a life in a way that you yourself don't understand doesn't mean that you're normal and they're crazy. It's yeah. fucking arrogance. I hate it. So he said that their behaviour was just their way of asserting themselves and what could be a better way to assert themselves than a film about them asserting themselves? Nothing more, nothing less. It's just them. They were always in control. As for the Beals, they were delighted by the documentary. Little Edie said, To my mother and me, Grey Gardens is a breakthrough to something beautiful and precious called life. That is beautiful. And precious. Yeah, that, and you do get that. I mean, that's mm. what we were saying that they're they're aware of what's going on. Uh-huh. You know, that's not exploitation in that sense. Then. Yeah, no. and also the way that the, the documentary was filmed, the style of it was very much the 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 crew and the directors were passive observers of the life that was unfolding yeah. in front of them. They're being shown things and then they're recording things. Uh-huh. So it's not like they're, they're not sneaking They're out. not setting up situations. It's not scripted. The women were leading the entire thing. Yeah. You know? And to me, it seems that they were very much in control. And the effect of it is not like... You're not watching it the whole time and gasping at the squalor and feeling terribly sorry for them and feeling like you're watching a fucking car crash. To me, it's really celebratory. Yeah. It's celebrating them in in everything that they're doing, right? Little Edie um, even penned an indignant indignant rebuttal to a critic who labelled them a circus sideshow. A year after the film debuted, Big Edie died of pneumonia. On her deathbed, when Little Edie asked her if there was anything she had left to say, she apparently replied, it's all in the film. So she, she felt as though the film was truly representative yeah. of it and really there was nothing more to clarify, to no. explain, to counter. She was like, no, if you want to know me, what my life's all been about, it's all there in the film. Well, you can only believe that and take mm-hmm. that at face value. Eh? You're not mm-hmm. going to kind of start kind of going, no, but, um, you know, let's let's cancel the, 
Mizell, the Mazels, uh-huh. um, for doing that. I was, I, there is a little bit, as, as I said, there's a little bit of me that, that kind of really questions that just point and shoot innocent observer recording things thing. But they do a really good job at that. They do. Yeah. You know, and as I say, as and you said that there's not they're not setting up situations, mm-hmm. and they're not fo- focus. Actually, they're focusing all the good, focusing on all the good stuff. Yeah, the film's you know. just jam packed with joyful it's moments. Celebratory. It's not a, oh my God, these people are dying in this squalor. Uh huh. There, there's moments of, you know, a bit of melancholy reflection. There's but they're the but they're the bohemians that belongs the, to them. Ah, uh-huh, it's them. They've they've brought it up and they want to, they're asserting themselves, by doing that. So. Despite the controversy over the ethics of the film, it was prepared. Um, it propelled the women and their story into the consciousness of the public and brought them a new audience of admirers, particularly among the queer community, who regarded them as icons of individuality and lauded their refusal to conform to societal standards. Upon her mother's death, Little Edie auctioned off more family heirlooms to pay the inheritance ta- the inherit- inheritance taxes on the house then set her sights on the bright lights of New York City again, which had been beckoning her back for over 20 years. She was offered a week-long residency at the Reno Sweeney, a cabaret bar in Greenwich Village. For only $7.50, patrons could watch her perform a song and dance routine in a a costume of scarlet chiffon with a matching headscarf, naturally. The place was packed to the rafters, some of the crowd were those who were genuinely enamoured of the bonkers yet beguiling character from the cult um, documentary. Others were hoping to witness a freak show. But her frankness, vulnerability and humour during the question and answer session won over even the most cynical attendee. When asked her opinion on premarital sex, she quipped, I think it's very economical. Can you do that in your accent? Hers or what one? Your standard accent. I think it's very economical. Thank you. <laughs> I can't remember what hers is like. I'm trying to think what her voice is like. Right, one night she spotted her cousin, Lee Radziwell, in the crowd and invited her to stand up and take a bow. She stood, visibly uncomfortable, while the audience applauded. Edie's accompanist, David Lewis, Reco- that's, a, that's a hard word, isn't Accompanist. it? Accompanist. Why do I want to put in another um, B? Another syllable. Accompanist. Accompanist? Accompanist. Now I've said it 16 times, it's just bizarre. It's just silence. So cut all that. Mm. <laughs> Edie's accompanist, David Lewis, recalls seeing a slight glimmer of satisfaction come across her face. No longer the Bouvier dynasty's dirty little secret Edie was the toast of the town. As she should be. She got her At long last. And I would kill to go back in time and be in the audience for that. Oh, if not that, it should have been filmed there. Yeah, I mean, when you watch the the dramatised version that stars Drew Barrymore and Jessica Lange, um, there's a bit in that that is meant to be that whole scene, that whole performance, and they've got the costume amazing, everything like that, and she does tea for two, and it's just, it's beautiful, it's joyful, it's, you can really get a sense for what it would have been like. I love those little kind of intimate performances in, um, like, the the drinks, 
room of a hotel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's that. There's all that. Um, what's her name? Elaine Stritch, one of my heroes, yeah. right? Have you seen um, At Liberty? No. You need to see. It's fantastic. But she's just wonderful anyway. Just as a as a Tabel was wonderful. She died a few years ago. To know that she just somebody like that existed and moved through the world. You know, mm-hmm. similar. That's what how I, I think. feel about Little Eve. Yeah, the, I was going to say similar time period. She was working from the. 40s and 50s onwards, yeah. yeah, so she was yeah, in theatre for a bit there. Yeah, and she only died, as I say, about a few years ago. Um, but she she was the um, the success story version of Little Lady that came to New York. She wasn't from money, but mm-hmm. came to New York, worked, 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 and, and made it, you know, mm-hmm. big, kind of, kind of, not, I, I suppose some people won't know, she's not quite, um, um, what's her name? She's a, camp, she's a camp icon, yeah. though, and she definitely is like a cult personality. Yeah, Ken, but she would do performances in, in hotel bars and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and I fucking love that. I wish it, we've, we've not really got a culture of that in this country, have we? Not that. Either. You know, yeah. it's. I mean, they do. They do even in, in, in France. There's a wee bit kind of more of that. You can uh-huh. stumble on something, or there's those little kind of a little theatre and a, you know a little yeah. ca- that's, that's a more intimate the, space there is a demimonde yeah we which, don't really have a demimonde what's the closest nothing we've just, we've just got bars drag bingo yeah fuck that fuck that shit <laughs> 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 alright so little lady returned to Grey Gardens to get her affairs in order she gave away the cats for adoption keeping only her five favourites wanting to finally realise her dream of travelling she knew she had to sell the estate but her attachment to her family home was such that she refused to sell it to any of the predatory property developers who, drawn to the most expensive zip code in the US, would only want to tear it down and build a soulless Stepford McMansion in its place. Ben Bradley, former editor of the Washington Post, and his wife, the writer Sally Quinn, promised to restore the mansion to its former glory while preserving its character. Sally Quinn's real estate agent refused to go inside and attempted to dissuade her from purchasing such a wreck, considering the fortune it would cost to make it habitable. Habitable? Habitable. But little Edie retorted, can you do this? All it needs is a coat of paints. (laughs) Apparently pirouetting while she said that. (laughs) So Edie handed over the keys to Quinn and Bradley, who found the house in the exact state captured in the documentary, Cat Shit and All. It was like the Beals had just upped and left. The rooms were filled with antique furniture, books, figurines, trunks full of letters and personal objects, all in varying stages of decay, and a grand piano that purportedly crashed through the rotting floorboards when Quinn pressed a key. I know, but there was the odd bit of treasure among the trash. Quinn managed to salvage and restore some of the art and antique furniture and visitors to the house can still browse the Beale's library, where many of the books are decorated with Edie's debutante-era doodles and witty inscriptions. The home and gardens were painstakingly and lovingly restored to their 30s glory, and once again served as the setting for East Hampton High Society cocktail parties. You know, you can, you can stay there now. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I read some articles about yeah, it. Was it, a, was it a New York Times thing or something, eh? Yeah, aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it did And Home and Garden magazine like also, yeah. yeah. I mean, it would be, if you were in New York, you would have to go. Can it? we put that on our bucket list? 
Sound of curing this shit. You know, when we get paid to do this... <laughs> That's where we're fucking We're going. manifesting that, yeah. So, what of little Edie? She lived a nomadic lifestyle for much of her later years, moving first to a cottage in Southampton, then to an apartment in New York for a few years in the 80s. A neighbour in Manhattan recalls visiting Edie's apartment and being struck by her unusual decor. All the walls were collage, pictures of cats, pictures of kabuki. She slept on a cot. She had a huge seascape above the cot with parasols at the foot and the head of the bed. She had shower curtains on top of the apartment's wall-to-wall industrial carpeting. Mm -hmm. She had these plastic shower curtains with butterflies all over them and the cot looked like a beach scene. I mean, that's beautiful sounds i mean i would love to see photographs of this well you know there was one you know when she started when she was after her room had been redecorated and she starts she makes an installation on the wall uh-huh. and in the gray gardens documentary yeah i was thinking automatically she's got that catholic sense of balance and kind of she creates altars everywhere you know yeah. what i mean uh, but it's fascinating and i'm like fuck's sake she's lived in this wee place coming up with her own aesthetic and her, and her own approach to art making. She's an artist. You know, that was already kind of like folklore beginning to explore, I suppose, um, more kind of broken down junk aesthetic found art and, and installation in New York. At the same time, she wouldn't really but have been aware, aware of that. Of it, no. You know, uh, and I, I, was, I was fascinated. Do you know when she's in her bedroom sticking up things on the wall? Uh-huh. I, I love that. So she's obviously carried it on mm-hmm. to um, her, her next digs. Um, Shane remembers. I was like, Edie, what's the story? So she says, oh, my darling, I can't go to the beach. The men come out and haunt me, so I've made my own beach. Oh, see, that's just lovely. That nice. She was thriving on the excitement of New York of, of the New York party scene. It was as though she was experiencing a second adolescence in her sixth, a sixth uh, decade. But her antics frustrated her famous cousin, Jackie, who was always trying to rein her in. She was encouraged to move to Florida to save the family further embarrassment. She indulged her love of swimming for a while, then moved to Miami Beach for its warmer waters and the gay community who readily embraced her. Then she lost her brothers and her cousin Jackie in quick succession, which sent her into a spiral. Believing there was a curse or conspiracy against the family, she relocated to Montreal in the early 90s. But living in a high-rise apartment in a French separatist neighbourhood was isolating and scary. She missed the sunshine and swimming in the ocean. So she moved down to California where she had family and friends. She spent her final years in Florida where she swam every day and lived a relatively quiet life surrounded by friends and fans. I find it really remarkable how she is known for being this recluse who's just lived in this house with her mum and all these cats for 20 years but as soon as her mum dies it's like the spell's broken and she's set free and she can't be pinned down she she goes all over the place she's down in in florida she's in montreal she's new york she's california do you know and the interesting thing is the continuity of certain habits, like you were saying about her, her feathering her nest in a really idiosyncratic way, yeah. which she did in Grey Gardens, which she did in her New York apartment. Um, she's always loved the sea, you know, that would be where she would escape to when things in Grey Gardens got really claustrophobic. You can see in the documentary, they, she goes down to the beach all the time and that's her kind of place of solace and she, 
She said that the only things she cared about in life is the Catholic Church and swimming. Yeah. And so she would swim a lot. And, you know, and that's something that she returned to. That's something that just consistently brought her joy. So she pursued that. Yeah. Um, for I think I think that in, in a situation, in that relationship she had with her mum, only one person can come out alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm glad she did and, and thrived. Do you know what it reminds me a wee bit of? Do you know the story of the silent twins? No. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, the June and Jennifer Gibbons. No, I'm thinking of two boys. It was a film called The Language of the Cranes, but it's a sim- it'll be a similar oh, thing. Oh, I'll need to look that up because I have not seen it. So the silent twins, well, maybe just go into it at another time because it's a fascinating story, but essentially they were these two um, black girls, twins, yes. and they didn't speak to they anybody. Yeah, they, they had their own language that nobody could understand. They, they only spoke it to each other Let's and they didn't speak to anybody. Yeah, let's do a selective mute special. Yeah. Um, but they, so they were pyromaniacs, got in loads of trouble um, with the law, and they were quite strange and bizarre. They were obsessive writers. In fact, you know, one of them wrote this novel that has yeah. been published. I've got it. Have you? Uh-huh. It I've not read it yet. It's called The Pepsi Cola Addict. Um, but then one of them died mm-hmm. really weirdly and mysteriously, and it's almost like a spell was broken because the other one then began to speak. She began to live a normal life, socialise, and now she lives like near Hastings. She's friends with David Tibet. Right. In fact, it was David Tibet that published her novel. Oh. Um, and she's like, you know, a normal mm-hmm. middle-aged woman now. But I think it's that folie a deux thing, eh? It's exactly folie a deux. Uh-huh. And, it's, and it's, I suppose it's even what we were talking about in relation to like the gay man and, and, and straight women um, thing of creating a kind of bond like that, that could go crazy. You know what I mean? But that tight, tight relationship where it becomes highly suggestive mm-hmm. and let's do something mad. I've definitely had friendships even like that. Mm-hmm. You know, where you kind of, not even consciously, but unconsciously egg each other on. You're feeding off each other's energy. Yeah, because you need that, because you need you need each other. And you, you can end up in, in strange situations, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's definitely... A, a definitely a kind of a, a thing and then one one goes and then the other one's perfectly normal yeah like me <laughs> <laughs> so she's yeah so she eventually ends up in florida like you said and she's swimming every day and just living a lovely quiet life um in the sunshine but when nobody had heard from her for several weeks after new year of 2002 the apartment complex was notified and they sent someone to do a welfare check they found that Edie had been lying dead for about five days. They probably smelt that lentil soup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she was 84, and she'd reportedly suffered a heart attack or a stroke as a result of arteriosclerosis. That, that was a mouthful, but I did it. Mm-hmm. Which is a thickening or stiffening of the arterial walls. She had stated that she did not want to be buried near her mother, which is interesting. Yeah. So maybe she thought, you know being cooped up in a house with her for 20 years was enough. Yeah, she does need that, that, mm-hmm. that ghost interaction. Yeah, um, so she was cremated, and her, which is interesting as well for a Catholic. Yeah. If you're such a staunch Catholic, cremation's not really no, de rigueur. Yeah, no. She's obviously been freed from all that shit as well. Yeah, because you she's know? not been living in it. Hanging out with gay guys and... and yeah, and yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, she was cremated and her ashes were scattered. Some of them were scattered in the family plot. And 
other bits of the ashes were scattered in the Atlantic Ocean, which is really nice because that's a place that she frequently went to and she loved and she found she could be herself and be free. She was memorialized in Locust Valley Cemetery in Long Island with a grave marker beside her brother, Buddies. And it read, I came from God, I belong to God. In the end, I shall return to God. It's shit, but it's one of her actual quotes. Yeah, but that's not. But it's a bit like meh the, from like someone that. like her. It needs something a bit pizzazz. Yeah. Like, that's showbiz, baby. <laughs> I don't know. I've got, I, want, I want a good one. You've got mm-hmm. to have a good one. I'm going to be spending my next. Let's, we'll tell you next, we'll yeah. tell you next, in the next episode what, what our epitaphs are going to be. And please feel free to get in touch. With suggestions of epitaphs or your own or your favourite ones of famous people, da 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 da. Um, So it says, I came from God, I belong to God, in the end I shall return to God. But did she? Sally Quinn, who bought Grey Gardens and who claims to be psychic, reported that little Edie in fact returned to Grey Gardens. Guests would refuse to sleep in little Edie's old bedroom, saying it was haunted. Every night at 9.30pm, lights would flicker in the hall. Heavy footsteps, which Quinn attributed to Edie's ghostly lover, the sea captain, were heard echoing through the rooms. She even recalls being visited by an apparition who told her it had a message from Big Edie, saying, She wants you to know she is very happy you bought the house and she will oversee everything. You will be very happy here. Indeed. Quinn and Bradley were very happy at Grey Gardens. They spent 35 years there, eventually selling it for $15.5 million in 2017 to fashion designer, fashion designer Liz Lang, who lives there with her husband and two children, and perhaps the ghosts of the Beals, the Sea Captain, Tom Logan, and a couple of dozen spectral cats and raccoons. I mean, I'm guessing they must have dumped all that shit out in the the, the ground, so they'll have wonderful vegetables. Oh, yes. Self-sufficient. Uh, it does look beautiful. It does look really beautiful. I would definitely advise looking it up. Um, there's loads of really good articles that I used as part of my research when writing this, and I'll try and link to as many of them as I can in the show notes. Um, one of them in particular is really good. It's about the library at yeah. um, Grey Gardens. Oh, I looked at that. You looked, you yeah. saw that, yeah. And you can see all the lovely illustrations and book plates and stuff in in all of the books that that are there. That yeah. obviously were Edie's and her mum's. And, and I hope we hope that um, you've kind of managed to see and feel the love and affection that we have for them. Mm-hmm. And actually, just even within kind of culture. Kind of itself, they've, they've really kind of taken quite a big space. Eh? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's very few, probably very few people that we know that, that don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's probably, hopefully, there's still lots of you out there that don't, and uh, you've got something wonderful to discover. And you now feel duly informed. But yeah, I 100% would recommend if you haven't seen the documentary Grey Gardens, I would also totally recommend the. The Hollywood film with Drew Barrymore, who's brilliant as Little Edie. Jessica Lang is amazing they as both Big Edie. Really, really look like them. Absolutely, really yeah. Beautiful. They've got the voices, the mannerisms. Watch the documentary first, then watch that. Yeah. And then if you can find um, that summer, 
then watch that as well. Um, there's also a really good podcast that I would like to um, kind of acknowledge that gave me loads of information about the spooky hauntedness oh. stuff. You'd like this. Yeah. It's called Dark House. Ooh. And it's a pair of interior designers. Hello. Um, and they talk about haunted houses, famous haunted oh, houses. Yeah, it is. And you know, the aesthetic of it is very dark towers, uh-huh. the, the aesthetic and everything. So they did a whole episode um, on Grey Gardens. I think they, yeah, they talk a lot about the, the sightings and stuff that Lois Wright had and that Sally Quinn had. Um, so that's also worth a listen. That's on Spotify. So I'll link to that one as well. So you've got lots of fucking wonderful things to examine. You're welcome. Yeah, you d- girl did good because you put a lot of work into this and I've learned a lot and loved a lot in, in listening and finding out more about them. You know, it is obviously still a very, very kind of rich story, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm definitely still want to keep digging. I want that documentary. I want to see it and I'm definitely going to get that book. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you, think it's, you think you know it, you think you've got it sussed mm-hmm. and there's always something a little bit more interesting. I didn't know too much at all about Edie's later life, for example, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's a whole other thing, isn't it? Yeah, and that would be worthy of a, of a documentary in itself. Unfortunately, that could not really happen unless there's a lot of footage from family and friends and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah. I've been obsessed with them since I first saw the, the Grey Gardens documentary when I was a teenager and she's just loomed large in my consciousness yeah. as an inspiration. It was my friend Janet that got me into the uh, into the documentary uh, and we loved it, you know. And of course, like you, the, you, you, every time I go to it, uh, there's de- it's, a, it's a cliche but it's true, but I see different things and feel different things and think different things, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just great to see but what is always there is how fascinating and how kind of big their hearts are yeah you know and what fascinating lives can live in shuttered off houses in grey gardens exactly uh, we will say goodbye just now and uh, we'll decide on something fascinating and wonderful for next time obviously yeah. I mean I have got this time so you can I've um, got a few wee ideas uh-huh. uh, and until then we, we hate you <laughs> um, feel free to follow us if you're not already following us on Instagram why the fuck not um, we are at we hate you underscore podcast and like we said several times during the show please get in touch and tell us your spooky stories your ghost rape stories your epitaph ideas, your musings on various star signs, etc. Um, and yeah, we might read out some of your pish on the next <laughs> we show. Defi- we definitely will. Apparently, having a little bit of in- people like a little bit of interaction. I de- I don't, but apart normal people do. Normal people do. So we would. I, I, I'm nosy, so I'd love to hear. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Bye. Just now. Love you. Love you. Bye. bye. bye.
that I ever gonna 